It's October 6th. The good Wednesday to you. Jesperson here with Hoyles and Brooks. Episode 199 of Real Talk. This one presented by the team at Bitcoin Well that earned its way onto the list. Was this on, I think, uh, Friday or Saturday? Something like that. This is fresh. The list just dropped. Like Cadence Weapons album yesterday. Just dropped. Hot. Everybody's talking about it. One of Canada's fastest growing companies because uh, you, you heard me mention the exact numbers yesterday, like 250 plus percent increase in revenues over the last three years. Bitcoin well ranking number 172 out of 448 total companies on the globe's list. Three year revenue growth of 254 percent. Congratulations to our friends, the entire team. At Bitcoin Well, you can find them online at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. We've got emails coming in this morning, uh, so much so that uh, we always remind ourselves that we're we're never really like late starting the show because the the show starts when the show starts, but everybody meets it. We got a whole bunch of people that meet us here. At 10.30 Eastern, 8.30 Mountain, 7.30 Pacific for those of you joining us on the West Coast out in Lotus Land and, and of course, a beautiful uh, British Columbia. But, uh, you know, typically we'll we'll sort of have our beans in a row. The team has a production meeting, you know, half an hour, sometimes 45 minutes before the show goes and, and we're ready to rock. But we're getting emails in real time. And so I wanted to make sure that I had some of these locked and loaded. Of, of course, I like to have them in front of me, but but Sarah Hoyles keeps her eye on the inbox through the show. So if you're with us live today, don't hesitate. If you haven't uh, sent something in by the time that we get things going, you can also be in touch on the hashtag Real Talk RJ. We've got, there's kind of a there's an interesting buzz in studio today. And uh, it's uh, I don't know if it's because Hoyles and I are, are both wearing leather. Watch the leather uh, or not. But uh, we, we both, I think, dressed up like rock stars a tiny little bit because Biff Naked is joining us today. Are you guilty like I am of this? Have I have I hit the nail on the head of what's going on with regards to our fashion this morning? That and I feel like it, we're talking fat bear week. So I I want to be as rough and tumble as I can, you, like, a, like a brown bear. You're not going to appreciate what I'm about to do throwing you under the bus here because our math expert, Dr. Brent Davis and Canadian rocker Biff Naked uh, you were prepared. You wanted to go straight to Fat Bear Week, <laughs> like ten seconds before. That was our, off the record. I, I know it was, which is I'm 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 absolutely throwing you under the bus here. You Sam are. Sam had you covered. He had all the mics. All the mics were dead at the time. And Hoyle says, "Can we just get? Can we just go straight to Fat Bear Week?" <laughs> And uh, and I thought, yeah, but I mean, in the in the in between, we've got, you know, some so we've got to talk some serious business COVID in schools. I'm really looking forward to checking in with our math ed expert, Dr. Brent Davis, mm-hmm. because I think, you know, you know what happens? There's a, there's a few things you can do. And I learned this in talk radio over the years. Certain words you can use to just fire people up like our text line would be slow on on any given morning you know and, and by that i mean it's the same as the real talk live chat i mean we, mm. we'd only be getting a new message every quarter second or so as opposed to every eighth of a second and then all you would have to do is say something like fluoride in the water or photo radar or you know you all you'd have to or, and another one of those was discovery math and people would just be like bah! 
and lose their. And uh, what I learned very quickly is that a lot of people actually have no idea what present day math curriculum looks like, let alone a rewrite of math curriculum. So we're going to get into that in just a little bit. I'm, I'm excited about this. We've talked a lot. If you think back to some of the uh, you know education experts, the curriculum development experts, the teachers, the professors, etc., people that were chiming in on Alberta's curriculum rewrite a number of months ago, it feels like a long time ago, didn't it? Like we had you know Dr. Carla Pack and others on the show talking about it. Keep in mind that was all; it was almost exclusively about the K to six social studies social curriculum studies. rewrite. Yep. Now we're talking math, and so they're taking a look at a different. And, and obviously, things are going to be different, or at least they, you know we assume they are. You know, previously it was like, you know, one of the authors of this, Chris Champion, this guy, you know, basically denies, you know, the impact of residential schools, denies the horrific legacy of residential schools. How can he be writing or contributing to the writing of of, uh, you know, the social studies curriculum? What are we doing talking about the Silk Road and Genghis Khan in grade two and kids memorizing all these facts like weird little grade two age Jason Kenny's, you know, not able to like. Talk about things like what to do when you're invited to a birthday party, just like learning about facts about medieval times. That's a fair criticism. You know that, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm to the point where like it's real talk now, right? It's real. This is what happens when you oh, kick now me off. it is when now you, well, it's when real you kick talk. me off the radio. I'm allowed to say things like Jason Kenny would have been weird as a kid. He's weird as an adult. People like that's real talk. He's weird. He's not a he's not a real normal empathetic person that can be like I understand what it's like for parents that you know their kids are sick and you're stressed and we all understand no he does not understand and people are going to write in and say Ryan you can't shame someone because they're a bachelor and they don't have kids that's not what I'm doing I'm just saying even the single politicians they can like hold babies and fake it to people and shake it not this guy he he's not a he's 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 weird real talk he does lack empathy. He lacks humanity. He's like a robot. And so, you know, like these little two grade two age Jason Kenny's just memorizing a bunch of facts. And so what's the context now of the math curriculum? Is it kosher? Is it A-OK? Maybe it is. We don't know until we ask the experts and we're going to do that in a few minutes. But we've got a whole bunch of people writing into the show about this, about, you know, in, in our home province of Alberta yesterday, some announcements, contact tracing is going to be back in schools. There's going to be rapid testing. Some people say it's not coming soon enough. Some people are saying at the invitation of some pretty prominent uh, medical voices in the province that the health minister, Jason Copping, and the premier should tour an ICU. And we'll bring you what the premier had to say about that coming up on the show as well in just a little bit. I'll give you a hint. Uh, the answer is hilarious. Uh, there's nothing funny about the story, but the answer is hilarious. Jason Kenney doesn't want to politicize hospitals now. Uh, Jason Kenney hasn't met something he doesn't want to politicize in his entire life. Uh, the guy would find a way to to politicize shepherd's pie if it was at all possible. I skipped breakfast today, so I don't know why I got shepherd's pie on the bread. I don't know why. Um, and then we've got good news emails like this. I just printed this one off from Jeremy on Pender. A shout out to the Pacific Time Zone and to everybody joining us on beautiful Pender. I'm going to be out on Valdez shortly, right near Galliano. Can't wait. Can't wait to get back out to the West Coast. Jeremy wrote this in, uh, and this is one of the best emails you can possibly receive in our line of work. Jespo, I want to thank you and the team at Real Talk. Uh, your episode on Monday finally convinced my brother to get the vaccine. He's been of the mindset that he's healthy and fit. So he thinks that uh, he'll only get what he calls easy COVID. And like many of our family members experienced with the alpha variant, you remember that? Uh, before the vaccine was available, you know, he's, he's been upset 
by his company requiring vaccination going forward on December 1st. And he was actually willing to lose his job of eight years over it. But when you brought up the story of Edmonton Oilers forward Josh Archibald, it struck a chord with my brother that even healthy athletes can't fight this on their own. He says, now, I was surprised at a couple of friends of mine. Uh, they've been citing the same reasons. Everybody states they want to see a breakdown of the comorbidity factors, and they, they're worrying that this information is being purposefully withheld. If I know three people who are still hesitant, not anti-vax, but hesitant, why is there not more of these information breakdowns? He says also we need to get more stories of, of athletic, healthy people and their COVID experiences. And let's all be honest about how many people get what they're calling easy or minor COVID. He says, thanks for your show. Please take fewer vacations. I might be addicted to real talk. That from Jeremy on Pender. Of all of the things, wouldn't me and and the team, although I should I should note that sometimes the team works while I'm off. And we have had a bit of a strange stretch. We got another one coming up, by the way. <laughs> it's weird. It's funny. Like we didn't take we didn't take a day for like eight months, and then we just like take every second week off for like two months. Don't blame me, folks. It's just because I showed up. It's not you, Hoyles. <laughs> Ever since you showed up, everyone starts taking every second week off. It's just been this collision of things where we're just like Quite frankly, I mean, I don't have to justify this and I'm not going to, except for now I will. Um, every once in a while, it's like I'm working for myself now and I feel like going to school with my kid. Well, I used to. That's actually a terrible example right now. But you know what I'm saying? I feel like taking a day, I feel like recharging the batteries. And we've got some things going on which are really exciting. Some some of some of these away days that we've been having, these off air days are going to be culminating in some announcements to come, which we're really excited about. So, Jeremy, your email made our day. I do agree with you to a certain degree, you know, that you that you'd like to see more stories, you'd like to see more information breakdowns, and I get it. And that's probably part of the play that we need to see happen to, to get the va- the so-called vaccine hesitant convinced like your brother was. I wish I could buy your brother a beer right now uh, if he drinks. <laughs> if he doesn't, probably a bad idea. Maybe I could I could buy him like a latte. But I also feel like people are to the point where they're going. How much more information do you need about the vaccine? You, you've got hundreds, if not thousands of medical professionals coming forward saying you've got nothing to worry about the case. You know, the, these sort of like um, case studies I, I ran into this guy. I'm not even going to mention his name. He's got about 100,000 followers on Instagram. He tours the country. He's got tattoos on his neck, and he's just a shit disturber, basically. Shows up at, like, far-right gatherings and sells T-shirts, and everybody thinks he's a big deal. He sort of inserts his nose into trouble everywhere, and he's tweeting yesterday that Josh Archibald, the oiler, or maybe it was a couple days ago, tweeting that, you know, he got the vaccine, and now he's got a heart condition. Yeah, and he's his tweet has like, you know, thousand retweets, six thousand, seven thousand people have liked it. I chime in and I go, not true at all. I was sitting. I wonder when I'm you know, whether or not to engage people like this. Right. The the disinformation crew, because this guy knows what he's doing. Well, and I think precisely that, like if you engage with it, it actually ups uh, the algorithm it, it like it activates does. the it algorithm. activates it especially yeah. when you know not to be the guy but like when blue check marks start engaging it does start bumping up the tweet yeah but at the same time really nobody on the comment thread was saying that's absolutely false 
Josh Archibald did not get the vaccine. That's why he's not playing for the Oilers. Yeah. He got he has the heart condition now because he had COVID, not because of the vaccine. You know, like, I don't know, 30 people like my tweet. So about 6,000 have seen his and believe that the NHL got the shot and is now has a heart condition. And, you know, what, 30 people saw mine. So this kind of thing, you know, I think it's important that we continue to talk about it, continue to shine light on these stories. And Jeremy on Pender, I mean, one, one other example, which maybe it's an obvious one or maybe people have forgotten about it because they're looking good again. They're flying out there as much as I hate to see it. The Vancouver Canucks. But what about last year? Like 25 or so. I don't have the exact number off the top of my head. Like 25 cases of COVID. You remember that, Sam? Basically, the entire dread, the, entire, the team was shut down. Yeah, it, like the whole schedule basically got flipped upside down because the Canucks were dealing with so much COVID. And some, yeah. of, and some of them were reportedly really bad cases. You know, and these are, you know, they say like NHL athletes are some of the fittest athletes in the world. So, I mean, you know, it, I think by now we're to the point I remember... Wasn't it Tim Caulfield, Professor Tim Caulfield, that was on the show? I think it was even before you started. Well, this was like months ago, and he made the exact same. I was doing this big, long preamble to a question, as I am wont to do from time to time. And, uh, and I'm going on about how people believe that fitness is going to save you from COVID. And I see him scribbling with a Sharpie on a piece of paper, and he just holds up this sign that just says, Vancouver Canucks. And he was just holding it up to the camera during our interview. So... There's an example there. Keep the emails coming. Uh, we're going to talk math curriculum in just a bit. We'll talk COVID today. And of course, fat bears, you know, that like 30 to 50 percent of our audience is going to be disappointed when they find out that the fat bears feature is is about like Kodiaks bears, like like animals, brown bears it has nothing to do with pride. It has nothing to do with with, you know, people groups and celebrations. Our feature on fat bears is going to be a disappointment to some people. I'm just saying. Well, that just, you know, puts a fire under me to start get... working on our pride coverage. Exactly. Or start, you know, let's look at fetish. Let's look at. Why not, though? Right. You know, let's do a furry round table. Yes. Although they'd have to take the head. They'd have to take the uh, the masks off the heads off. Well, otherwise, no, we'll, could, ju- we'll just put mics inside. You could put lavalier mics yeah, underneath mics. the. Uh, I told you there's something going on on the show today. There's something in the water on we're just like a weird. It's going to be. I love these wild, weird mornings. Biff, Na- Biff Naked's going to be on the show being like, what is with this trio? <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Our friends at Friesen Brothers know that, you know, Thanksgiving is obviously an, a, an extremely special time of year for a lot of families. And that's why they want us to remind you about their Thanksgiving ham dinner. That's right. Catering by Friesen Brothers. You can learn more at Friesen.com. F-R-E-S-O-N.com. Alberta Fresh or Frozen free-range turkeys and hams if you want to do the cooking yourself. But if you'd like to pick it up, I mean, they believe really great food is meant to be shared. This year's feature Thanksgiving dinner includes the roasted Valbala Gammon Ham. Just to be a name dropper for a second, in the meat world, Valbala in Western Canada is a huge name. They do an amazing job. So a Valbala, it's kind of like a name brand ham, if you know what I'm saying. That would be another great band name. Name brand ham. That would be a great band name. Mother dough cinnamon bun, sourdough stuffing, cranberry sauce, gravy, veggie, potato salad, your choice. You can enter it uh, or rather sign up. Learn more at freezen.com slash Thanksgiving dash ham dash dinner let's go to the website you'll find it ran into a guy by the name of winston yesterday he's a big real talker he comes up to me he's like got this like kind of like twisted not not like an angry face winston and john these two fellas come up to me 
They're like, why do you never mention that Friesen Brothers is 15% off the first day of every month? And Doyle's face right now, too. I'm like, this is the face that they were giving me. And I'm like, I'm like, I, you know what? And typically when someone says to me, like, why'd you have that guest on the show? Or why is this your opinion? Why are you making fun of a grade two Jason Kenny? Why are you doing And I go, well, because blah, 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 and I have an answer. That one, I was like, I don't know why I didn't, man. I, I don't know. You buried the lead. Why did I bury the lead? It's why their freezing ad read now is going to be 75 seconds. 15% off first day of every single month at the 16 Friesen Brothers stores across the province of Alberta. Also, a big shout out to our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Through this month, two single cheeseburgers for $5. I'm going to tell you not to buy those because you can get two double cheeseburgers for 7 bucks, which is the obvious play here. This is the 100% all beef patties, processed cheddar, pickles, ketchup, mustard, the warm toasted bun. You know the D-Cube. You know what I'm talking about, the classic cheeseburger. Is it a double-double then if you're talking about doing well, two? Yeah, because all you do, two? you just take the, uh, you know, you can just take one of the buns, depending on how you're stacking them, just take off one of the buns, the top or the bottom, and stack them, compress them, right? And then what I do is I go pull into the parking lot where no one can see me <laughs> and just hammer these things down. Inhale. Yeah. Like, you could do a documentary on people in, like, Dairy Queen parking lots just hammering but like when you get a blizzard you don't get a blizzard and be like oh, i'll get to that in an hour uh-uh i i totally agree i pull over in the parking lot and oh. i and i eat because i yeah well that's what that's how you roll at dairy queen i wonder if the if the dairy queen ownership group at palisades and mayo newcastle westmount and baseline road would be cool with us just like sam what we'll do is we'll sign it to you so so i don't want to have to deal with it because some people you may face people may not appreciate it as a matter of fact you know they're trying to get into their blizzard, and there you are, the camera in their face. Excuse me, excuse me. Yeah, excuse me, excuse me. Can I get a comment? Yeah. It's an, it's another Real Talk Streeter with Samuel Brooks. And they can't talk because their mouth is full. <laughs> I don't know if there's a segue to get into this, talking about math. There probably is. We all have a smile on our face right now, and I hope that that doesn't just twist into a frown, into a scowl. It seems like if you've been talking about curriculum in particular in Alberta over the last year or so, the conversations have been uh, disheartening all the way through till maddening. A lot of people have cried foul on what they describe as an ideologically driven uh, sort of almost a setback type curriculum. Now, as mentioned before, a lot of that has been based on the social studies rewrite for K to six. But what about math? If you'd like to read along. As we get into this, you can check out alberta-curriculum-analysis.ca. One of their contributors is a Workland research professor in mathematics education out of the University of Calgary. He's a former junior high math teacher, the lead researcher on what they're calling the Math Minds Initiative. Uh, Dr. Brent Davis making his Real Talk debut. Doctor, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for making time for us today. Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me. This uh, math rewrite, I mean, the social studies one has, has been a hot button subject over the past number of months. I, I, I'd like to think that math is maybe a little less political, but what do I know? You've been studying it. Is this one as potentially combustible? Uh, I wouldn't put it in quite the same category as social studies, like politics and, and social issues kind of go together hand in hand, right? But um, yeah, there are deep, deep problems with this curriculum that um, uh, we should be careful with. 
you know, I feel like the average person, I'm not talking about you and your colleagues, obviously, but people that are separated by decades from their last math class don't really understand how math's being taught right now. I was joking earlier, if you if you bring up discovery math, I mean, people just sort of divide into camps and start arguing. What's the state of the current math curriculum? Are you comfortable that currently students are being taught best practices when it comes to math? Uh, no, I'm, I'm not entirely comfortable, but uh, that, that's a really difficult question to answer because the, we have entangled uh, curriculum structures that are defined by ministries of education. We have uh, attitudes and and um, recommendations for teaching that ca- are coming from all sorts of directions. Uh, it's our the the state of the art in teaching is well not state of the art, um, so. Yeah, I, I don't know how to get into that question. You, you, you phrase it in terms of discovery learning. And, and discovery learning actually isn't an invention of, the, of, of schooling or the teaching profession. It's, it's a political construct that's been deployed to uh, kind of bring, to criticize, to bring down, to build, uh, to set up a, a straw man, uh, to deflect the argument ar- around good practice. But... Uh, I, I can say with confidence that math can be taught a lot better than it is being taught, and it has everything to do with a really well-structured curriculum. So this is what you're saying. So, you, you know, discovery math is is used as almost a political trigger word. Uh, can, can, I, can I go, if I go really not lowbrow here, but sort of, you know, what, what the average person might say, you know, it, it would be utilized by politicians that want to convey a message like, you know, these highfalutin ivory tower academics are teaching our kids all these frou-frou pie-in-the-sky type ideas, and we're going to take it back to reading, writing, and arithmetic. Is that kind of what we're getting at here? Yeah, I mean, that, that hits the nail on the head. The, uh, the, the way the idea, um, no, let, let me give two sentences of background on where the, the idea comes from. Uh, um, it's, it's an idea that's been around for centuries. And for most of its history, discovery learning has been uh, about the sorts of experiences and experiments that we conduct through life to learn what we need to know. Like most of what we know, we discover as we just go along. Um, that idea at least the way the phrase is intended by Minister LaGrange, Premier Kenny, and David Staples, um, when you apply it in, in mathematics, kind of makes no sense because there is no way that young children are going to rediscover the conclusions of mathematics that took humanity up until very recently to get to. So in the world of edupolitics, discovery learning um, has come to be associated with unstructured, idiosyncratic wanderings. Uh, and of course... Um, yeah, I mean, nobody's going to learn mathematics that way. So it's a really effective entry point to argue for back to basics and ex- explanation centered teaching and procedure focused practices. But, uh, yeah, nobody I know, no academic I know is an advocate of discovery learning. Okay. Honestly, I don't totally the whole discovery learning thing is one where I go, uh-huh, uh-huh. But I, I don't totally get it. I don't think most people get it. I don't think people really understand, right? It, it's like, I'm not comparing it to the story. This is actually a wild swerve. But people would say, like, you know, Hillary's emails. 
And you'd be like, uh-huh. And if you asked the average yeah. person, like, what does that mean? They'd be like, I don't know, man. Like, or emails, man. Yeah. No, like, what's the action? People don't know. People don't know what discovery math even means, do they? The average person has no idea. But this matters, right? I mean, you dove into it. The team's diving into it. Why does this matter so much? Might be an obvious question, but I'd love to hear the answer. Well, it matters so much because it sets up this, this false argument in, in the field of, you know, you have your traditional instruction where the teacher is telling you what to do and giving you this formulaic set of, of knowledge bits that you're supposed to master. And we have this willy-nilly wandering around thing on the other side, and that sets up, sets up the argument. And who is going to go for willy-nilly when you can have really well-structured? The problem is, is that it, the, where good mathematics teaching exists isn't between those two poles. It has I mean, cognitive science, uh, research into the structures of mathematics, um, uh, cultural studies into the mathematics that it's important to know right now don't exist in this argument anywhere. So the curriculum is, is you know, is, positions itself by saying, well, we have these things, we'd better go there, rather than saying, gee, should we be maybe teaching different topics than we taught in the 1600s when in the early stages of the Industrial Revolution? Might people need to know different mathematics today? Might they need to understand it any differently? Gee, have we learned anything about mathematical cognition through cognitive science? Should we maybe employ that in our teaching of the subject matter? Those questions weren't asked in the development of this curriculum. And so we end up with something that looks a lot like um, a 17th century um, program of studies. It's it's just a little weird. Okay, can you take us into it? Help us understand it. I mean, I'll mention that on your website, and again, uh, uh, Sarah Wells has linked to it in our live chat. We'll tweet it out from our official Twitter account at Real Talk RG. Again, it's alberta-curriculum-analysis.ca. A 19-page document from you and your colleagues at MathMinds. Uh, Real Talkers, you're looking for the document titled A Response to Alberta's Proposed K-6 Mathematics Curriculum. Uh, Doc, what do we need to know? Take us into it. What do you need to know? <laughs> um, well, I don't mean I, on the I, math I, front. I'm a lost cause on math. No, just on. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, there, there's, there's lots that needs to be known, <laughs> but I'll focus on two points and a third or fourth or, or fifth might pop up as I'm making these two. We got but time. The, the first one. Yeah. The first one is um, we have learned a lot over the last century about uh, mathematical cognition. Uh, how it works, uh, how people develop mathematical competence, the sorts of experiences, the sorts of language, the sorts of uh, structured practice, uh, the sorts of teaching practices that prompt people toward noticing what they need to know. We know a lot about the teaching of, math of mathematics. It simply is not represented in the um, current uh, curriculum documents. And that uh, because it's not present in curriculum doc documents is not registering in school classrooms anywhere because those documents um, orient what is to happen in schools. So that's thing number one. We have not uh, engaged with a century of research into how people learn mathematics, how people understand mathematics. The second thing is the point that, that I've also just made, the, the idea that the mathematics that we need to know is changing. Um, the, the most of the current contents of curriculum were selected for learners in the early stages of the industrial Re industrial revolution and again we're in kind of the information age the knowledge age it's we need to know different mathematics and to understand it differently can you can you give me an idea like you know anecdotally or otherwise of of how that might play out 
I'm like, if I if I hear that my my son in elementary school is going to be learning, you know, math curriculum that's better suited for the 17th century, you know, is, is it like you have 20 milliliters of, you know, oil and you need to run your kerosene lamp through the night to keep your family? I mean, is that what, like, what, do we, um, what does it actually mean? No, so there are a couple aspects to this. One of them is um, how you need to, to understand concepts. So in the 1700s, they needed people who were, you know, had basic literary literacy skills, basic mathematics skills. And those, it had nothing to do with understanding. If you saw a list of numbers, you needed to be able to add them, subtract them, or perform whatever operation needed to be conducted on them with accuracy. That sort of skill set, you know, it's valuable to be able to do that, but really spending six, eight years plugging away at mastering um, faultless addition is that where we should be paying our attention right now? So the, the conversation over the last few decades has shifted from um, being knowing, knowing how to do it. And I'm, let me be clear, I think it's, it's important to know how to add. So shifted from knowing how to do it to knowing when to do it, to knowing why you would be doing it, to knowing where this is an important topic. So it, that, we call that a shift from procedural understanding to toward conceptual understanding. Both are absolutely valuable, uh, but conceptual understanding is probably where we should be placing our emphasis these days. So that's thing one, the type of understanding. Thing two is the topics that we study. Um, adding, subtracting, multiplying, dividing, those are known as the basics. Those aren't basic to mathematics. They're basic to uh, the needs of a citizen in the 16th, 17th, 18th century. And yeah, they're still basic today, but other operations are becoming basic. And one big one that, I, that the curriculum pretty much ignores is uh, exponentiation. To understand COVID graphs or climate change or inflation or economic growth and collapse, you need to have this sense of what exponentiation is. And it's, it's actually not a hard concept to teach, except humans, um, cognitively speaking, aren't well equipped to understand exponentiation. So that takes real instruction, real experiences, but it is ignored in the curriculum. It's not regarded as a basic, but let's face it. Understanding today's world, exponentiation is a basic operation. We need to understand that. Not a mention in the, in the K-6 curriculum. Uh, this next question I'm asking you to speculate, so, so do so to your level of comfort, but why do you think that that's what we're seeing here in this draft curriculum? What, what would motivate that type of, I'll say, draft product, not a finished product, but what do you figure is going on? Uh, what do we figure? Well, you know, that's that's a speculate question. <laughs> um, I cannot help but uh, interpret the document as a political move. It is, you know, in these days of uh, the rhetoric around uh, satisfying the base or appeasing the base. That's what this feels like to me. Um, it is not. It is not a sincere attempt to bring the Alberta curriculum into the 21st century. And, you know, we're well into this century. We should, we should get here sooner or later. And, you know, other jurisdictions are moving quite aggressively in embracing the, the research into mathematical cognition, the, the anthropo anthropological and sociological research into the changes in what we need to know. The fact that Alberta has 
kind of made this regressive step into let's retrench in the basics from from previous generations how can that be anything but a political move so if i appreciate your candor uh what could be i i figure i might know the answer to this question but what could be the long-term consequences? Here's here's what I think is, let me offer a caveat to the question first. I think it's important that people know that Alberta, uh, in particular in reading and science, uh, but Alberta's not fared too poorly in math either. Alberta students are ranked among the top in the world. Uh, in fact, recent PISA scores uh, within the last five years, in fact, rank Alberta students first in Canada, second out of 72 countries. Uh, in, in science behind only Singapore, third in the world in reading behind uh, British Columbia, which grinds our gears a bit, British Columbia and Singapore. But it's not as though Alberta Ed has been a disaster. Right. But what happens yeah. if this goes in the wrong direction? What happens if the curriculum doesn't reflect where the world is going? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll start by mentioning that um, 10 years ago when Alberta was parsed out, what, where would Alberta be ranked if it were an independent jurisdiction? We came out on top of the English-speaking world in mathematics. So we're not ranked quite as highly in mathematics as the other subject matters, but we're doing really well. And, you know, slipping down what that means, I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm not a big fan of those tests. But in terms of long-term co consequences, what might this mean? It is going to play out. The fact of the matter is these tests are developed around um, rubrics that at the lowest level are about um, uh, rote competence, memorized facts, uh, accurate uh, use of procedures, and at the high levels are about understanding and interpretation and kind of inventing on the fly to, you know, bringing your multiple ideas together to address a, a difficult idea. The entire curriculum seems to be pitched at that lowest level. So what's going to happen over long term? We are going to sink and sink and sink because we are not trying to, this curriculum, we are not trying to, and this curriculum does not enable efforts to, um, bring children into a profound understanding of mathematics in ways that these tests are testing. So, I mean, those tests, too, are political objects, but they are political objects that are being informed by the research, unlike Alberta's uh, curriculum. Uh, aside from the fact that the tests can be used as political objects, which is not a small observation, uh, what else don't you like about them? I've heard a lot of people say they don't really like these evaluation tests. What don't you like about them? Oh, there's so much not to like about them. Oh, yeah. but the, one of the big things is uh, I, they are political objects. Different jurisdiction jurisdictions are manipulating them in different ways. Mm. And there are lots of ways you can do that by um, uh, steering them to particular subgroups of, of people rather than having a genuine um, sampling of your population. Oh, let's do this school and not those schools. Um uh, you know, Canada could easily come out, out on top if we tested that school, that school, that school, and that school and ignored the general population, right? So they are stunningly easy to manipulate. And I'm not quite sure what they tell us. On the plus side, and this is the only plus side I can think of for these tests, is that they have served as really good instruments for the development of um informed curricula that, you know, some, some jurisdictions are genuinely interested in teaching mathematics better. And they say, well, let's consult the research. Do we know anything about teaching mathematics better? Well, in fact, we do. When you pick that up, you, you can do better on these tests. 
So uh, in terms of a driver of good practice, yay for, for the test. In terms of um, improving cultural conditions, I don't see them doing that. What I see more often is uh, these tests are used to deflect attention from politicians' bad decisions onto teachers. <laughs> it's, wait a minute, um, bad economics? I'm not sure that's the teacher's fault. It might be bad uh, political decisions. So I'm, I'm not quite sure what they're for in the big picture. Fair question. Uh, this 19 page document, by the way, we've just tweeted it out uh, from our official Real Talk Twitter account. Uh, MathMinds generated this 19 pager. My understanding is that you did have an opportunity to present the findings uh, to the government of Alberta, at least to the Ministry of Education. How did that go? Yeah, uh, we, we finished the document in July and we, we sent it. The first thing we did is sent it to the ministry and said, you know, uh, this is what we got. It, we disagree with a lot of what you've done. So before we make this public, could you please go through it? And, you know, we've highlighted some spots where we think you've got it just totally wrong. And here's our research on it. And you'll see that some pages are half research citations. Um, and could you tell us what research you use? Because you seem to be coming from a totally different space. So we met for an hour um, in early August and they didn't, they cited not one research study, no reference to the cognitive science literature. When we asked them point blank, why did you do it this way? The best answers we got were absolutely couched in opinion. And we kind of bounced back. But like there's this research that absolutely contradicts that. You shouldn't be moving from procedural and hoping conceptual understanding is going to pop out of that. The research says it goes the other way. Why are you doing it this way? Well, we think it can happen that way. It's just what <laughs> we yeah do you, do you we, think, we had did, our moments did I, I bet did you did you pick up on kind of an animosity maybe aimed at teachers or at the profession not in that meeting and i mean we can infer an animosity just by the general structure of this like they were really friendly I, it wasn't it wasn't a tense meeting but it was a frustrating meeting right i mean we are trying to get at these understandings and you know, say this really matters and your decisions seem to be based on opinion and there's tons of research to go the other direction why aren't you using it and to have bounce back well we think we can do it this way it just you know it has this odd and eerie reflection of the covid response <laughs> it's just uh kind of um uh, evidence be damned we think this is a good idea um there are other ways of thinking yeah and uh, I have never seen myself on the same screen as Biff Naked right now, which is happening. <laughs> it's just, nor have I had my name mentioned in the same sentence. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, um, well, I mean, a, a couple of rock stars, you know, Doc. So, so there you go. Yeah, Biff's, Biff's uh, in our bullpen right now, ready to go and looking yeah. forward to that conversation. Uh, let me ask you in closing. Uh, if you're just tuning in uh, to hear Biff Naked, we're talking right now to Dr. Brent Davis, who's a math education expert out of the Workland. Uh, he's a R Workland research professor uh, out of the University of Calgary, rather. Uh, Doc, is I mean, can can this be? I, I was trying to find some way to. I don't know. Am I am I looking for a silver lining? Am I trying to find some reason for optimism? People are looking for some sort of good news. I mean, is is there a way that some? It doesn't sound to me like this is the type of thing that you tweak. It sounds to me like. You know, to, to, to quote from premiers uh, Doug Ford and Jason Kenny, like you might want to send this draft to the shredder. Uh, but what's your assessment of where it needs to go from here? You know, the starting place of the curriculum is good. There is this commitment to what we call knowledge rich curriculum. Knowledge rich curriculum is all about 
uh, what's important to know, and how do we structure it so people learn it really well. That's a great commitment, great place to start. Everything after that in the deployment seems to fall apart. So, yeah, it's fundamentally a redo, but they've got the right starting place. Okay. <laughs> well. It's a fail, sorry. It, yeah, it's it's an F. I, I mean, sometimes you try to polish a turd, and at the end of the day, it's still just a polished turd. I, I was going to go with uh, Sour's Ear and Silk Purse, but sure, turd. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Dr. Brent Davis, uh, really appreciate your time today. Thank and, and, hey, listen, more than your, I mean, yeah, but your time into this project as well, this analysis, I mean, educating the public by way of this show is great the work that you and your colleagues are doing behind the scenes incredibly important and and sincerely i mean let me speak on behalf of the thousands of people that'll hear this but i'm the parent of a grade one student so i mean it thank you oh it's what i live for love it yeah i don't don't want my little guy 11 years from now when he's looking to apply or whatever he wants to do obviously um you know, I've told Wyatt, like, you can do whatever you want to do, buddy, as long as it's play pro hockey. Um, you can do what, whatever and, and pay attention in math, because when they offer you like eight years at nine point five million a year, we're going to have to be able to figure out what is that. That's like, OK, so eight, nine, seventy two million. So it's like the family's going to get like a hundred million dollars. And then mom and dad kind of helped you out quite a bit. So mom and dad get what would be fair, probably about 20, probably right, about 20 right. million of the 100 million. So so when Wyatt's figuring out how to live his dream um, of having mom and dad in the stands, watching him hoist the Stanley cup or your dream lived vicariously. Well, through. I mean, I mean I, that, that <laughs> to my understanding is why you would have children. Um, but uh, Seriously though, uh, for parents and I don't know, I mean, you know, we've heard some people say, thank God my kid was, you know, graduated already or, mm. you know, thank God my kid was in grade 12 and kind of dodged a bullet on all this. What about the parents who, you know, or people, you know, what about the educators? First of all, the teachers that give a rip, but also the people that are like, my kid's going to grow up studying this stuff. Like if this, this curriculum is being absolutely roasted by every expert that seems to be worth their salt that we talk to regardless of subject and and we'll keep on this obviously we'll keep following up on this we'll keep talking to the experts the trustworthy ones uh if every single one of them says this curriculum's a fail and then your kids learning from that curriculum how's that gonna make you feel right it got to the point where we've heard some people say that they're concerned that if their kids grow up going to school in alberta from you know 2020 to 2038 or let's just say at least till 2023 uh, that uh, the kids will be disadvantaged when it comes time if those young learners so choose post-secondary, if they choose to apply for some sort of maybe a polytechnic school or a skills college or at the Baskin University, um, you know, are they going to be so far behind the eight ball that they're either going to have to upgrade or that, you know what I mean? I mean, this is real life stuff for people. I just, I feel like, you know, I don't have kids, but I still give a damn because this is actually this is actually it doesn't take somebody having a kid to be like it's important to have critical thinking it's 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 important that we have people that are up to speed and are uh able to you know operate and navigate the world that they live in not you know centuries and centuries ago yeah um we need critical thinking especially in the midst of the pandemic as the doctor just mentioned and also economically are people going to want to move here? Are we going to have a brain drain yeah. because people don't want to ha- raise their kids here? 
like not going to they're not going to come here businesses and companies are not going to set up here yeah and people are going to vacate the premises because the education is not up to par yeah um some of you are concerned uh, not picking up perhaps on my rich sarcasm uh about why it being a professional one of you saying this is an odd flex to be talking about your kid winning the stanley uh <laughs> jillian uh jillian's wondering how i'm getting 100 million dollars from eight times 9.5 it's, it's approximate, but that's the whole point. All I do is I do the math. I go eight times nine is 72. And then I go eight times half a nine would be four and a half would be th- about, about 30 ish, 30 odd, about a hundred, you know, give some to escrow, give some to taxes, give the rest to mom and dad. That's basically how the math works in our house, right? It's like Halloween candy math. One for you, one for dad, one for you, one for dad. He's like, why am I getting all the candy corn? Why am I getting? We'll have to do that polling. Heading into October 31st, what do real talkers evaluate to be? Maybe that could be our question of the week with Y Station. What's the best Halloween candy? What's the lousiest Halloween candy? Sam, do you have a, do you have a nominee? People can always, I think, think of the lousiest. for what, Was there something you'd get in your trick-or-treat bag that just drove you nuts? Candy corn. Candy corn. Candy it's, corn it's is disgusting. Dumb. What is yeah. it? It's like little chunks of sugar that just stick to everything. Nobody knows what it is, exactly. really. Yeah. Best, uh, you know, I'm going to go with one that that only seems to float around at Halloween, Tootsie Rolls. Ooh. <gasps> Love sure. Tootsie Rolls. No, Tootsie Rolls are going to be my like get out of ta- like get out of here. I will you have all your so he'll, Well, this is rolls. great. He'll take all your Tootsie Rolls. I love the little uh Skittles uh yeah. and Coffee Crisp. I'm going to ask this is going to be my first question for Biff Naked in a sec, Halloween candy. Um, coffee. I mean, for a lot of people, especially if you talk to kids, what's the best thing to get at Halloween? They just say the big chocolate bars. They don't care what chocolate bar it is. They just care that it's big. We had a dentist on our street growing up who would give us toothbrushes, which actually I thought was pretty cool. You know, because he was cool through yeah, the year. Right? You were not as a kid. You're not like this is really cool. Jeez, I'm glad I. Golly gee, I'm glad I got my toothbrush. <laughs> he cares about me. He cares about my future. I mean, don't get me wrong. We would egg his house later that night. But, hey, it's real talk. Real talk on a Wednesday. Biff naked in just a second. Right now, I wanted to remind you in all seriousness that our friends at Athabasca University are Canada's online university. It doesn't mean that because of COVID or because of classroom restrictions or because of something else, they took classes online. Uh Uh-uh. This is how they've been rolling. So their robust structure, I mean, the way that they operate has been tactically developed over a number of years to ensure, I mean, you don't become a world-class accredited online university without some strategy behind how you roll out your programs. I told you about Real Talker Jennifer I talked to just the other day. She's got a full-time job and she's earning a psych degree. She's doing it via Athabasca University because she's able to participate in her studies when it works for her schedule. For more information on how to sign up, you can check them out online at AthabascaU.ca. The following paid advertisement does not necessarily represent the views of Ryan Jesperson, Real Talk, or Relay Communications Group Incorporated. It's time for a fresh perspective. Edmonton deserves a leader who will work for you and with you. Someone who understands the strengths of our community to do things better and faster. Cheryl Watson has built her career on results, not promises. On October 18th, vote Watson for mayor and together let's build a city that works. This ad is paid for by the Watson for mayor campaign. Friends, you know that uh, by now, 
Our dogs, Moses, our nine-year-old boxer, and Monroe, our two-year-old black lab, have been eating Grand Dog Essentials quality raw food for a long time. It's why I'm proud to personally endorse the company. I've seen what it does for our dogs. We've thrown them a bit of a curveball. And it's a bit of a curveball maybe for you as well when you understand what this company is all about. Moses was at the vet the other day. He's getting up there. He's nine and he's having some mobility issues and he's got to lose some weight, says the doc. Both Moses and I have put on a few pandemic pounds. I was with my trainer, Graham Duty, yesterday and Moses has to have his diet switched up. He's moving to cooked. And I was like, oh boy, this might be a bit of a problem. So we called the team, the nutritionists at Grand Dog. They go, we have a lineup of cooked food. No problem. They go check out the website. So now when we get our weekly to our door delivery, it'll be quality raw food for Monroe. It'll be cooked food for Moses. You can mix and match your orders. You can ask about their bulk deals. Plus ask what might be best for your dog. They've got a team. All they do is figure it out. I can tell you firsthand it works. You'll find them online at granddog.ca. The promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first time order. Well, our next guest is a multi-gold uh, and platinum-selling Canadian rock star, an author, a songwriter, a manager, a producer, uh, a human and animal rights activist, and uh, probably the sole reason that Hoyles and I both wore pleather on the show today. What a thrill to welcome <laughs> Biff Naked to Real Talk. It's so good to see you. You won't remember, but I interviewed you about 12 years ago on Breakfast Television. It's really great to have you here. Oh, my gosh. I have enjoyed listening to you guys all morning and I wanted to chime in a million times. My dad was a dentist and gave out toothbrushes, by the way. And uh, it was embarrassing for us <laughs> as his kids, three daughters. I was the middle kid. Very embarrassing. And number two, I have a Yorkie um, with colitis. Aww. So I understand all the different dog food <laughs> needs and stuff. I can just... Yeah, you can listen to you guys all day. It's like we're old friends. Oh, my gosh. And well, we are. We are. And that means a lot. And it's amazing to have you here. You're the type of uh, you're the type of Canadian celebrity, I think, where like everybody's got a story about Biff Naked, whether it was like a show that they saw you at or whether it was a song of yours that's resonated with them. I know a lot of people, even when we said that you were going to be on the show and we announced you were going to be on the show, a lot of people were talking about Biff straight edge and you've inspired people to to live their best lives and live healthy life. I mean, you've got your you've got your fingers in so many pies, as you might say. Uh, what's it like if you're Biff naked walking down the street anywhere in Canada? Uh, I'm I'm like the, I'm like a mom, like a dog mom. I'm like a middle aged dog mom <laughs> at the dog park with everyone else. Um, I know all the girls at, at the cashiers at my grocery store. We're all buddies. We we talk and make fun of, you know, our dishpan hands from doing the dishes. I mean, that's just my that's my regular life. Um, right now, obviously, we're traveling. We're on tour. I'm in a hotel right now. And uh, and it's it's exciting. I've been very lucky to live for the last 30 years as an artist. Mm. You're going to be uh, in our home city of Edmonton uh, coming up October 9th. Uh, you'll be playing with Buck Cherry at Edmonton Century Casino. Uh, people can still get tickets for that. Where are you right now? Where's the tour stopped at right now? Oh, we're just getting ready to start the tour. It starts in Calgary. And this little tour is, of course, as you mentioned, with Buck Cherry and a band called In Vertigo. And um, we drove to Calgary from Winnipeg to start the tour. And the pandemic has kept all of us apart. I have not seen my mother 
uh, who's in Winnipeg. She's 83. I haven't seen her in uh, since, you know, 2019. And so I was able to safely walk outside with my mom and my little Yorkie. We did a nice walk in the sun. It was it was glorious. I'm going to ride that high uh, until I can see her again. That's and incredible. she's double backs. I'm double backs, but we're still in masks. Yeah. And we're still outside because that's what she's comfortable with as an 83 year old. Uh, and also she knows that I'm going to be doing shows uh, even though everyone has to be vaxxed and all this stuff, it's still, uh, you know, it's still obviously a public health risk. So we were careful, but I sure wanted to hug her. Um, I cannot wait until we're all in the clear and safe. It's uh, it's such an interesting time right now. And I know that, you know, I see people like people want to go to rock shows. Um, you obviously as a musician, I mean, I, I, I know how much musicians have missed touring and how important touring is, of course. We see that, you know, sports events are kind of firing back up. And, and I know that you know, people try. I always try to, you know, if I feel uncomfortable asking questions, I know that those are the questions that are important to ask. Um, and yeah. I wonder, like, do you, do you feel, I mean, here you are talking about your mom who can't understand. I mean, we, we can understand exactly where you're at and exactly where mm. your mom's at. And millions of Canadians can relate. Um, do you head out on tour with kind of mixed feelings about the whole thing? I mean, it's not like we're totally out of this yet, right? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, we were very lucky uh, to perform in Edmonton this past summer um, and uh, with 5440 and a bunch of other great acts, the Trues, Stephanie Hart. Um, and that was fantastic. It was a socially distanced outdoor show. Um, get together through Trickstar, and um, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Um, I don't know what to say. You know, I think everyone does the best they can, and everyone has been doing the best they can, but um, we are no match. Uh, as human beings, we are no match for uh, a pandemic, and yeah. we don't, we have no basis of comparison. You know, nobody has any basis of comparison. We're learning as we go. And um, obviously we want to be, we want to be here and we want to perform and we want to see our fans. I'm not allowed to do meet and greets. Mm. I'm not allowed to do, we call them grip and grins. I'm not allowed to do the whole, you know, thing that I have always done. I remember playing in Edmonton, playing at Reds yeah. and doing autograph <laughs> lineups that were 300 people long. And it took hours because I hug everybody. I'm a hugger. You know, it's so hard, you know, not being able to hug people. But I know one day again, we will. Do you like that stuff? Do you like do you, like 300 people? I mean, I was thinking there, there's got to be. Uh, and of course, you're going to you'll give us you'll say, of course, I love it. Of course, I love my fans. But I, I think to me, um, I would be of two thoughts. If there's a lineup of 300 people that'll wait an hour and a half to shake my hand what an honor that would mean a lot to me and i know that you're the type of person because people say this about you all the time that you're not leaving until everybody has their photo you're not leaving until everybody has their autograph or they got to tell you their personal story but at the same hey. time I, that would be that would cause that would prompt anxiety in a lot of people to, to have 300 conversations or 300 grip and grins like you said it just comes with the territory it does and it's important and you know as a cancer survivor um, I get a lot of cancer survivors in my um, autograph lineups and for selfies and stuff. And I can't help it. Uh, I talk and talk and talk and they talk and they share their stories and, and, and we hug and we cry and we laugh. And, uh, and each person is equally as important. Everyone has a story to share. 
I want to hear them all. So it is time consuming for my band uh, having to wait uh, for me all night, but it's worth it for me. I honestly believe that I went through breast cancer uh, really for the purpose of having the lived experience so that I would be able to connect with people who are going through it now and families that go through it now. It's interesting the path that life takes us on. And, uh, and I'm very, very grateful. I'm very lucky that I have fans to talk to about it. You've had not just breast cancer, but like heart surgery, kidney failure, right? Like it's not, it's not been an easy road for you on, on the health front. Um, does touring get to the point? I mean, you know, in addition to all the people that want to talk to you about their journeys and people that relate to you, which is obviously a very special relationship with your fans. It's got to be exhausting, too. Does it take a toll physically? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm going to say no. You know, like, uh, I don't know. I'm a light sleeper. I've never needed a lot of sleep. So that's a good thing, because when you're on the road, it doesn't matter if you're a drinker or if you're not a drinker. Uh, you know, you load out at two in the morning and you get up to do morning radio at six. So unless you're up for the job, uh, it's not going to be very fun. And I'm always up for it. Um, I love it. I have not done anything else with my life. You know, I've only ever done this. So I don't know any different. I think the only job that would be better than the job I do is probably a hospital porter. Nothing else is better. Um, I don't know. It's uh, it's what exhausting, but it's a happy exhaustion. What is it about hospital porter that would resonate with you? Okay, here's my theory. Okay. okay? follow this. So the thing with the hospital porters, that's the best job. Like if I had to have a job, you know, I'm not going to go to med school. Okay. Let's be honest. My grade point average will never be enough. I don't want 13 years of school at this point in my life. I'm too old. I don't, I don't feel like it. Let's put it that way. Uh, nursing. There's a, a great need for nurses. Hey man, if you want to go into nursing, I'm talking to anybody, whether you're young or old, if you want to go to nursing, please go into nursing. Um, you are needed. You are needed. Um, I would love to go into nursing, but I probably wouldn't be very good at it. I don't think I would be good inserting a pick line in somebody who doesn't want one to ha happen. So for me, the best job would be a porter. You are transporting patients uh, to different things. You're transporting equipment, you're transporting materials, um, and you get to talk to everyone and, and try and make people laugh or listen to them on the way or whatever the case. Uh, so, yeah, if I wasn't a rock star, I would want to be a hospital porter. I'm glad that you brought up porters. <laughs> we talked to a, a lady yesterday out of Calgary. Um, this She's just a legend. She, she owns this catering company, Devour, right? Hoyles is called Devour Catering. And, and she said, hey, for 15 bucks a meal, we can do hot meals for healthcare workers and ICUs. And Biff, uh. she, she raised... 55 grand in like three Amazing. days and her team's now Amazing. trying to do like 5,000 meals but the conversation especially with our we call them our real talkers our live audience they started pointing out like there's hospital administrators there's security guards there's the cleaning staff I mean there's so many people oh, yeah. that are doing so much right now and they're really not yeah. celebrated like they probably should be let alone supported right that's right especially during the pandemic I mean imagine uh, the security okay so a lot of businesses have had to hire security and extra security staff uh, with COVID protocols, not just here in Alberta, but everywhere across the country. So you're hiring. So, I mean, you know, is everyone trained in crisis management? Is everyone trained how to diffuse a situation when you've got somebody who's uh, not being cool? You know, that would be a stressful situation, a stressful job. Um, so be extra nice be extra nice to security people Yeah, no kidding because they're just yeah i always feel really bad for 
for COVID screening people, you know, they're, they're doing a, they're doing a job that they are asked to do. No kidding. I've, yeah. I've always thought security is, it doesn't matter where you are, what your security is always a thankless job. You know, always this bank I go to, I don't even want to manifest this. I don't want to say it, but like there's they put a security guard sitting. First of all, he's unarmed and they put the security guard at the door. And I'm like, what's this guy supposed to do? Like somebody mm-hmm. kicks in the door with a shotgun. This guy's supposed to get it. I you couldn't pay me enough to be a bank security guard. I digress. Are you still living in Vancouver? Biff, is, is that home? Is, is Vancouver home city for now? Vancouver always feels like my home city. I moved there in 1990 and lived there for almost 30 years. Yeah. Um, I moved to Toronto in 2018. And so I've been living in Toronto uh, with Snake, my my husband, uh, husband number three, we always say. And um, and I've got to say, Toronto has been very, very, very interesting. I've never lived there before. It's been remarkable. I've learned a lot. And uh, but I know I'm a West Coast girl. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see where I land. It's hard to say. The pandemic really did change my perspective on a lot of different things. I think that, you know, it has thwarted uh, the work for a lot of people, not just in my business, but for so many businesses. Everyone's had to pivot. And unfortunately, it's not easy for everyone to pivot. There's a lot of people who are unemployed. Yeah. So it's, it's not in my business, really. I'm just curious. But but the move to Toronto, was it was it reflecting kind of some industry trends? It was it was kind of a, a career related move. You just look wanted a change of pace, you know, change of landscape. Absolutely. It was 100 percent for work. And uh, of course, we moved there for work and then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And so, you know, no one could work. And so that was really interesting. It forced us to be creative as far as just live a creative life and go back to uh, to making music, making records, making art in the studio. And that's we've been immersed in it. It's been great. Um, can can I ask you about your you, you talk about your mom and, and what a special visit that must have been. I mean, here you are, I, I guess, setting an example like so many other people have and observing the requests from public health professionals who wouldn't want to see their parents. I mean, I wish I could spend every single weekend with my parents, but you go see her. Yeah. Um, you're you have you you're you're upbringing. I don't know if people really know. I mean, that your story is really remarkable. Right. I mean, can, can we talk about that? Yes. You're, you're, you're talking about your adoptive mom, correct? Yeah, I am. And it's funny because my, uh, so I'm an adopted kid, uh, adopted in India from these uh, two American missionaries that weren't really there doing missionary work. My dad was a dentist, so he was fixing the missionaries' teeth Mm. and uh, teaching at these uh, Christian medical colleges all over India. But long story. Um, And my parents moved eventually to Canada. And so I've always been the only Canadian in my family. My birth mother was Canadian. So by birthright, I am a Canadian birth abroad and my birth mom lives in Ontario, an hour from where I live. So living there uh, has given me the opportunity to visit with her uh, for, you know, Thanksgiving and Easter's and and whatnot, of course, again, until the pandemic hit, but um, that's been just remarkable. It's been fascinating and wonderful. So cool. And and I mean, everybody, and, and in particular artists, but I think everybody on planet Earth, you know, have the, has these lived experiences. I mean, you talk about your breast cancer journey. 
um, which is an amazing perspective to have. But but I love learning more about the background of people that have a platform and understanding what drives people and what inspires people and and, and understanding why people like you're just you're at a certain level there are there are musicians and performers that get up and perform and that's their thing and then the, the, there are others where i think their fan base and their audience perceives a real connection with them and you certainly qualify as as one of those and i, I would guess that that's not lost on you oh i hope you know i hope so i i think that because i'm i'm a chatty kathy I'm a people person. I've always been a people person. And uh, I think if I wasn't in this job, I would be doing something else, working in either either public health or with the public in some other way. I love people. I, uh, yeah, I just want to, you know, be helpful. <laughs> I guess that's the bottom line. I, I blame my parents. They were squares and they were social justice activists and bleeding heart socialists. And so that's what I am. Yeah, this is uh, you got to be careful with that language in Alberta these days, Biff. You know, you walk around, and start talking about yourself as the descendant of socialists. You never know what might happen. It's a, well, I um, mean, so, you know, they're Americans. So it's no, a different I kind of socialism. Say. I mean, it's a it's an expression. But I agree with you. Um, yeah, the country's gotten really kind of politically um, uh, their panties in a knot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know another way, but I mean, that's it. That's on every side. Uh, so it's been interesting. And definitely, I think that the uh, current public health crisis has uh, added fuel to that fire. I agree with you. And I understand why people I mean, geez, I'm like, you know, I, I'm right there as one of the faces of it. So I'm not going to absolve myself of anything. But I understand why people get worked up. I understand why people have their panties in a knot, like you said. Um, at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm so eager for everybody to be, to be able to just chill out. Like I'm really and I know I feel like it's just like now I don't know if you've ever hiked the West Coast Trail, but what you would think are like the easiest stretches of the West Coast Trail, which are the beach walks. Those are the hardest ones because you're sinking into the sand and you're trudging. And it just feels like this last year and a half has been this beach walk minus the Mm -hmm. scenery. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's been very interesting. It's hard to hard to explain um, no matter how much we want people to stay calm and and uh, we want them to have the desire to have a sense of understanding of one another and be compassionate. Uh, that's not how it is. People are not only impassioned, uh, they're emboldened. Uh, and so it's led to a lot of uh, misunderstandings, I believe. Um. Let, let me ask you about this new line of uh, CBD oils that you have. You've just launched this line of hemp oils, right? Mona Lisa, uh, Mona Lisa Healing. And uh, first of all, congratulations. Um, I, you know, you've obviously been proudly, quote unquote, straight edge uh, for many years. Uh, and, and I'm not drawing a direct line here. I'm just curious. It's interesting context. Uh, what led you to look into the business of cannabis, the healing aspects of cannabis, and ultimately what led you to invest in it? Well, so Mona Lisa Healing was actually the brainchild of my friends and business partners. And the only reason I got involved uh, is because of how many girls in my chemo groups were taking CBD. They were using cannabis, but they were also using CBD oils to help mitigate their side effects or their symptoms, whether it was sleeplessness or anxiety or their joint pain, um, a variety of things. And so I kind of was introduced to it in that regard. Uh, Some of it has THC, some of it doesn't have THC. And, um, you know, there's a million 
companies now because it's so popular. And like um, like protein powders that you can buy, there is no there's no protein powder cops that go and tell you yes their ingredient listings is accurate yes they're being truthful. You really have no way of knowing. And so Mona Lisa Healing attracted me uh, because of the ethics that they produce their products with. And you know I had senior dogs for a long time. I know you have senior dogs. I wish I had known about CBD. When my dogs were still alive, I know that it would have helped my Bichon, who had eight uh, disc fenestrations in her lifetime. She had a herniated disc disease. And my uh, my Maltese, who was 17 when he died, had Cushing's, uh, among other things. And I, I really think that the, the CBD pet products would have probably helped them. Um, Canada Health. Uh and me are old friends, not good friends. Let's put it that way. I have a real pickle, uh, uh, a bone to pick with them, if you will. Um, and, and the problem is CBD falls uh, under the cannabis umbrella and it really shouldn't. It's a food supplement. It should be really kind of falling under the food supplement uh, arm of Health Canada. But of course, again, the pandemic hit and some of that legislation was put on hold. Um, so hopefully someday you know, everything will align and it will be considered a food supplement, which is really what it is. Um, and then, you know, it'll be great. But Do go you- to MonaLisaHealing.com if you want to learn more about this particular product. But, you know, do your research. Any brand is great. Um, I just think that it's great for, for wellness, for overall health and well-being. And I'm living proof. So are you... Uh- Oh man, I have so many. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, a, a, a big advocate for cannabis, certainly, and an investor in cannabis as well. Um, and so, just for context for you, um, and I feel like I could talk about this all day, but I don't, I don't want to keep you here all Me day. Too. Yeah, Me but too. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious to know if you feel uh, like number one, if, if cannabis, if you, I'd be curious to know, do you reconcile or can you integrate cannabis into your life and still live the so-called straight edge life? And also, um, what's your interpretation or sense of where the stigma is at around cannabis right now if you think it's changed at all since it was legalized in in canada three four years ago and i mean where are you at with all of that well i mean obviously i think it's important that it is legalized i'm a big um you know i believe in harm reduction uh i believe cannabis can play a very good role in uh helping people mitigate uh addiction recovery i think that cannabis plays a huge role Uh, For people who are going through all manner of things, whether it is uh, cancer, whether it is um, Parkinson's, whether it's, I mean, you could, I can go on and on. We could talk about it forever. Uh, I'm a big fan. I think it's important. As far as being a straight edge person, you know, I think that when I was 25, it was very, very important to me, sociopolitically for sure, uh, to identify as a straight edge. I couldn't just be you know, tell my friends, well, I can't, I don't really drink. You know, it wasn't like I was like, oh, I'm in AA. I'm I'm in NA. It wasn't really like that. It was, you know, something that uh, was how I identified. And it was really important to me. As time went on, you know, wherever you go in the world, um, you know, there are certain straight edger groups, like say in Austria, let's just say, you can't be a straight edge in Austria and drink coffee. I'm not, not all Uh, places like that but just as an example certain places certain groups of people you can't have a coffee and I always thought well Henry Rollins drinks coffee and he's a straight edge so I'm going to drink coffee and you know screw what they say 
Um, there's certain places that straight edges, you can't uh, have a friend who drinks alcohol. Let me tell you, my band drinks a lot of Palm Bay <laughs> and they drink a lot of beer and I make fun of them and they have headaches and but it doesn't Bay. matter. Oh yeah. We tease them the rainbow one. Um, but you know, and that's, that's their deal. I don't care. I'm a vegan. They're not vegan. I don't drink. They drink. Who cares? Like to me, it doesn't matter, but there are a lot of straight edge people that say, oh, I'm not straight edge enough because I tolerate other people drinking. Yeah. Okay. You got me. You like got I me. don't really care. Beat and it. same with cannabis. I think that cannabis is, uh, plays an important role uh, in the well-being and health of people, whether they have anxiety, sleeplessness, whatever they're going through. And CBD plays an important role. It, it's whatever works for you in life. We have one life, man. This is it. This is it. There is no dress rehearsal. This is it. This is the show. <clears throat> Live your best life the best way you can. Be nice, stay healthy, and be good to your family. I just heard Gord sing that. No dress rehearsal. Oh, this is our life. Yeah. Right? That's right. Oh, fucking miss that guy. Um, I know. Who, who, hey, who is your who's, who's your favorite? Not you. Who's your favorite Canadian musician or what's who, who is the Canadian musician that had the biggest influence on your career or on your life? Oh, my goodness me. Well, I mean, you know, I'm going to say Chai Pig from Edmonton's yeah, very own SNFU. Absolutely. Uh, one of the first tour, the first tour I ever did, Chai was the singer for the Wongs. And uh, and, you know, I was lucky enough to sing um, duets with him and sing on a couple of their records. And uh, to this day, there is no greater accomplishment for me. Leno, forget it. You know, getting to present at the Junos, forget it. Really and truly, um, Tri-Pig will always be um, a hero for me, especially in Canada. Again, Joey Keithley is the same from DOA. These were my heroes when I was, you know, first starting out. And it's the truth. Um, now, you know, uh, there's a mil I have a million heroes. I can even say Jan Arden is a hero, um, you know, from her first album onward. She's been a great influence on me. She's funny and kind and, and hilarious and very, very talented and amazing songwriter, all these things. Uh, you know, Winnipeg's Chantel Kriviasek. I mean, you can, I can think of a million Canadians that I love. There's all these like connections. You're naming these people and we, we all feel connections to them. Uh, a dear Wonderful. friend, a dear friend of this show. Uh, we, we just lost her, as a matter of fact, a, a short time ago to a, a rare form of cancer. Uh, the, the dearly loved Julie Rohr, uh, Chantal Krabiasic, oh. uh did a did a twenty minute uh, intimate show for her via FaceTime when Julie was in hospice care just a short time ago. Uh, I know that so many of Julie's friends and family will always appreciate that that love from Chantal Kreviasic. You know what I love about Jan Arden recently is so she's got her new show and everything and, and, and she is just all over Twitter and I love the other day she's like the more you come at me trying to hurt me the stronger I get. Like she is just hitting people head on and I love her energy there. I mean it's bullshit that she has to do it. Uh, but I love her energy. Yeah, she's amazing. So she's cool. passionate. And, yeah, you've, she's great. Um, great author too. You've uh, we're gonna let you go, Biff. I I so appreciate your time. I know you've got a lot of pulls on you, especially on tour. But let me just ask you about this. Uh, on the thirtieth, on Thursday, we we recognized uh, and honored the the inaugural. Uh, National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, and, and you have been using your platform to call for more attention uh, to the final report for the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls, as well as survivors of of residential schools. What What is it, aside from maybe the obvious, uh, that's motivated you to use your voice here? Um, well, you know, I grew up in Canada, 
I grew up here in so-called Canada. I mean, you know, how can we not all get behind this? You know, how can we not as, as, uh, as people who live here, we, we have to support our neighbors. You know, we are guests and that's the bottom line. And, uh, and I just think that, um, you know, everyone needs to read uh, the final report. Everyone needs to think about uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Everyone needs to write letters to their elected leaders. And we need to get on this. This is, um, I could talk about it all day also, um, but this is really, this is really important. It's dear to my heart and it should be dear to everybody's heart. Amen. Uh, I just checked online, by the way, on Ticketmaster, because I was like, we want to make sure we give a shout out to the show. And <laughs> and it looks to me there's like 11 tickets left. But if people want to get into this show, you better because it's close, close to selling out right now. Uh, Amazing. Biff Naked, uh, Buck Cherry and special guest Age of Days. It's this Saturday, eight o'clock at Century Casino in our hometown of Edmonton, Alberta. A couple of tickets still available uh, but you're going to want to get there right now. Biff, it's been so good to reconnect with you. Congratulations on everything. I should Same. mention your book as well, Ibificus. People can check that out. An international bestseller. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a thrill. You got it. That's uh, Biff Naked. Who doesn't love freaking Biff Naked? Right. I know that I guarantee there's going to be a lot of people. A lot of I think her super fans are watching this. And, and I know that some people are going to figure out real to they're going to discover real talk today because they're going to the biff naked interview and a lot of other people i think are maybe kind of hearing from biff naked for the first time or maybe didn't know much about her or just you know you recognize the face obviously right. she's got such a that, like rocker look sleeve tattoos and obviously like looks amazing this like just powerful performer front of stage um but there's a lot to her mm-hmm. a lot that makes her tick and uh man i love conversations like that great booking hoyles Nice job, Hoyles. Just doing my job. I think we'll extend your contract by another week. Congratulations. Uh, You can pay all your bills, Hoyles. Keep it up. Honestly, Hoyles, Brooks, behind the scenes. I always want every once in a while when it strikes me to say on the record, uh, we recognize how lucky we are to have these two steering the ship. Sarah, all these bookings. She's the one that gets swamped with the task of actually putting these ideas together and then making the show happen. And we're lucky to have her also so lucky to have our team of partners. We call them our real talk builders. Uh, the ones that were with us when real talk was, but an idea, but a glimmer in your father's eye. What? What? At localwaste.ca, you'll find local waste services. It's construction, commercial, and residential waste and recycling collection. They're going to send, Mikkel's going to send me an email today like, would you mind not equating our company with, would you mind just reminding people that that we're all about, you know, giving people relationships built on integrity, not taking advantage of our partners, earning the long-time trust of our clients. Would you mind focusing on that? All right, I will. I'll remind you that some of these garbage companies, the big multinational ones, they just try to sell you the big, huge bins. They try to grind the most money out of you that they can, not local waste. They're going to sell you rent, you lease you what you need. And then if your business grows, or if the need, maybe your home renovation grows, we got a big reno going on across the street from us. Big local waste bin there. Great to see. Great to see. Then they'll grow the need with you. That's how the relationship works. And of course, Trash Talk coming up on Friday, presented by the team at Local Waste. You can send us an email, a rant, 
to talk at ryanjesperson.com anytime. The team at Westworld Computers wants me to remind you that, yeah, sure, they've got everything you need when it comes to the iPhone 13, the 13 Pro, the 13 Pro Max. They've got that iPad Mini 6, that one everybody's talking about. But if you go to their website right now, westworld.ca, you can book in for a service appointment. They're trained technicians, use genuine Apple parts. You can trust them with all your Apple devices. They're Apple certified, and they've been doing it for 40 years. I mean, the breadth of experience, the depth of experience. If you've got something old school, they're going to be able to fix it. They know the ins and outs. You're like nodding your head. You get very, you get very enthusiastic when I talk about old school Apple products. Well, I, you, you know, part, it gets very enthusiastic. <laughs> First of all, old school, like the the old shiny colored iMacs. Those things are just so cool. No, I back in the day, I had an old MacBook. Took it to a uh, a different Apple retailer for a repair. Sam, and they tried to sell me a new one. Took it to Westworld. They had a new battery for it, ready to go. Boom. I also, Boom. I went to another place, like third party place. They left this gooey thing around my screen on my desktop Apple. Took it to Westworld and they were like, what the? Heck? Well, they didn't say that. They, but they, they were just like, we got you. We can fix this. Yeah. There you go. This is real life testimony. 66% of the people in this studio have had experience with the Westworld team in the sales and service department, the service department specifically. And the other 33%, for right now, knock on wood, everything's been running just fine. But now that I said that, I'm going to fuck it all up. Ah! Westworld.ca is where you can learn more there. Should we get into what happened yesterday talking about the schools? Should we get into Alberta's premier? And should we get into, I mean, I know that everybody's in a really good mood after Biff naked and all that. But listen, this could be good stuff. It, it could be good because I, I think it's a step. All right. I'm trying. But the fact of the matter is, is that schools are experiencing outbreaks. And uh, in addition to some schools reporting dozens, literally dozens of cases, we've also received reports off the record, but credible that kids have been admitted uh, in particular from some northern Alberta schools into the Stollery Children's Hospital. And so this is no joke. And parents are all twisted up. And so are teachers, and so are principals and administrators and everybody else, uh, including people across the province that recognize that the under-12 population still doesn't have access to vaccines, and it turns out that maybe this is a bigger deal than anybody thought. And so, Hoyles, yesterday afternoon, Alberta's Premier makes himself available, Education Minister as well. We're going to play a clip in just a second, but for people that are going to be tuning into Real Talk to get basically the gist of what's changing we're reading that, that that contact tracing is going to be back in schools. There's going to be rapid testing. How is this all playing out and when? They're saying after Thanksgiving weekend, so after this weekend, when kids return to school, they'll be doing uh, contact tracing there and then, but it'll be the schools that are doing it. And it won't be the government of Alberta that really, you know, backstops it until mid-November. So that, that should be interesting. I mean, the other interesting thing is, you know, Edmonton Public Schools, they announced yesterday that they are still still calling for a fire break they want schools shut down yeah so good great we have contact tracing coming into play but public school in edmonton want a, a fire break okay so and one of the things i think that people say well, why does it matter if schools are the ones that are implementing all this as opposed to a provincial directive um, is the idea just to make sure i don't miss anything here is is the idea basically that some school districts may take it more seriously than others or that there may be a lack of consistency in policy is that kind of the main premise i'm assuming people want one provincial directive one provincial mandate so it's not 
subjective. That and, I mean, schools are supposed to be teaching students and that's what their focus is. And the government um, did this last year. I mean, our guest on uh, Wing Lee on Monday, definitely. SOS, support our students, yeah. Yeah, talked about, you know, that this is something that they did all last year. This is not, they're not reinventing the wheel. It's, they can basically take what was done last year and and re-implement. So why is it not happening? Yeah, I think a lot of people are kind of, scratching their heads like why does it gonna take till mid-november to get the government to be doing this ahs to do this yeah i don't blame kim for chiming in she just goes downer um kim don't worry we're talking about fat bears in like six minutes we're gonna take you to jasper in about three minutes Uh, so it's all good i get it though uh michelle says i dropped off flowers for our school staff yesterday for world teacher day and i was so choked up to see a few of them Michelle says, I miss my community, and I'm really hoping that volunteering uh, will be allowed soon. Lala Zaz says, uh, Dr. Dina Hinshalbert is chief medical officer of health at a 180 on schools contributing to community spread. Joe says contact tracing was designed to fail so that it wouldn't show that schools were a major source of transition. Steli Z. I don't know why that handle just rests. Steli Z. I just want to, I just like, I don't even know Steli Z in person, but I, I feel like I want to walk up to and just like be like, I, I feel like they're going to have like, what What was the, like in Greece, the Travolta, what's that, the gang called when they had like the jackets, the fancy jackets, and the, you know what I'm talking about. By the way, a He's shout out to the, the Real Talkers yesterday when I said, what was the, where was it to, to be able to build the bomb on the internet? If, out of context, this sounds really weird right now. It does sound really weird right now. I'm not trying to direct you there. Uh, but shout out to the real talkers. I meant to acknowledge them yesterday that knew it was the anarchist cookbook that I was looking for. So those of you that punched that into the live chat, that's two points for you. And Sam will continue to log those on our real talk scoreboard. Uh, yes. As just, soon as I build it, just as soon as you build it. Yeah. Uh, I seem to remember somebody got three points in the first week. A couple of people got two points in the second week. I have um, 5,000. I don't know if you know that. Mm, unfortunately, you're ineligible to win any of our great prizes. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but Steli Z, Steli Z is like, do you mind getting to my message? Like, as opposed to, I just, I want to see Steli Z with like the hair slick, the cool coat and just be like, Steli Z, right? It's just like, the, it's just my, you know, my pal Steli Z says, uh, <laughs> I'd appreciate going online. My kid has missed two weeks of school so far awaiting COVID test results. Everybody's life just gets like it's like the uh, the stick in the bike spokes. You know what I mean? There's another bad idea you're learning on Real Talk. Uh, where, where do you go online to learn how to put the stick in people's bike spokes? I'm kidding, but it's that's what happens to people. Life just grinds to a halt. Right. And you get that note that someone in your kid's class has COVID or maybe your kid has symptoms or maybe everything's shutting down. But parents are, including Steli, asking for it. It's it's what you know, I mean, at what point is this going to end? At, at, and what's it going to take to get there? We're just going to keep going. 20 percent unvaccinated, 300 people in Alberta ICUs. We're just you know leading the nation, tripling the national average. And we're just going to keep going. The national average in deaths due to COVID. Haas says, I don't know what the education minister is smoking, but I want some. A reporter yesterday uh, from CTV asked Premier Jason Kenney if he was going to take up these doctors. A group of doctors have, have publicly invited the premier, the health minister, to visit an intensive care unit, an ICU. And um, the Alberta Medical Association sort of you know, providing the impetus for this and saying it might provide some context for you. And so a CTV reporter doing their job yesterday asked the premier if he intends to take up the AMA on its invitation. Will you 
and the health minister be accepting this invitation to visit an ICU? Well, I appreciate the letter. I have not seen that yet. Uh, these are government of Alberta hospitals, and uh, I, I'm always very careful not to politicize the hospitals. We don't do uh, photo ops and, and, and uh, uh, bring... Uh, in fact, we strongly discourage people uh, from who, who are not don't have to be there for clinical purposes from going in the hospitals. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I haven't seen that letter. Yeah, right. Nobody believes you. Uh, and number two, hospitals are not to be politicized. We got a great email from Chad. Uh, Chad just CC'd us, which we appreciate. It's an email to, to the premier and to the health minister. He says, uh, Chad, uh, good evening, Premier. I understand from your comments today, he's talking about yesterday, you're very careful not to politicize hospitals. Um, he says, first of all, these are government of Alberta hospitals. Uh, that's not true. He says, these are Alberta Health Services and Covenant Health Hospitals. Second, I'd like to know how you touring an ICU in coming days is any different than the nine photographs I'm attaching to this email. He says Premier Rachel Notley toured the front line of the uh, Fort McMurray wildfire. Uh, Premier Allison Redford toured the devastation caused by the 2013 floods in southern Alberta. What was different in these crises? Uh, Premier, this is your crisis. And the front line is our province's ICUs. This is not political, says Chad. This is a genuine bona fide opportunity for you to repair a small fraction of your reputation with 6% approval. And a chance to help spread a cautionary message to those that are still on the fence, unvaccinated, and those that still somehow support you. He says the Alberta Medical Association sent you this letter, Premier, on Monday. Uh, you and the health minister have had at least a full 24 hours to read this critical message from the very people propping up our health system. As you've stated in previous media availabilities, this is your priority number one. How have you not yet seen the letter? Of course, the premier's seen the letter. The guy just lies so smoothly. You know, you encounter these people in life. They just lie. It's just like it doesn't even they don't even break stride. They just lie, says these doctors that wrote you this letter are offering you an olive branch. At the very least, I implore you to listen with both ears to what our health professionals are telling you and to take that olive branch. So I told you, and, and I'll describe it for the benefit of those that, you know, the majority of you that are listening to this on the podcast here, here are the nine. Let me, let me not make sure I get Chad's phone number off there. Thanks Sam for hanging tight on that for a second before taking my screen. I don't know that Chad needed his cell phone number put out to, but here it is. I mean, here's the premier uh, in an emergency room. Um, here is uh, Mike Ellis, uh, tweeting about his visit, uh, the stop of the day to the Medicine Hat Recovery Center. Uh, here's the premier with uh, premier with uh, Leela Ahir and others at the Stollery Children's Hospital. Here's the premier. Uh, uh, who, who is that? Is that, that no? That's uh, is that Mike Ellis again uh, outside Casa House? Here they are at another hospital. Uh, there's other MLAs here. Here are the MLAs posting uh, photos in front of an ambulance. Here's the premier in the lobby of another hospital. Here's uh, former health minister Tyler Shandro in a hospital room with a doctor, with a patient receiving care. Uh, and uh, here we have it as well, the premier with uh, MLA Leela Ahir. It appears to be touring again the Stollery Children's Hospital. So, so there from Chad are nine photos, and, and I don't think Chad has all of them. I think he probably Googled very quickly Jason Kenney Hospital and pulled those photos down. So, so don't believe for a second that the guy who finds a way to politicize literally everything is not willing to politicize hospitals. He doesn't want to politicize anything that right now is politically poisonous for him, and that would certainly be the ICUs because they're chock full. 
This brings us back to the conversation about schools, and it brings us back to the timeline, which is following Thanksgiving. I get this. It's, it's the same sort of thing. Politically, I get this. Strategically, I get this. Same move that Doug Ford pulled, Premier of Ontario. People are saying, why are you bringing in these measures after holidays? It's because they don't want to have it on their shoulders. They're the ones that canceled Christmas. They're the ones that canceled Thanksgiving. But you wonder if these will prove to be super spreader events. Well, they were the, last year. Well, who are the people? And again, am I, I'm not here to play the blame game. Uh, but every once in a while, I think that it's, uh, you know, you got to call a spade a spade. And when it comes to these super spreaders, where are they happening? Where are they happening? They're happening among groups of people that underestimate the validity of covid, if you can believe it. People who underestimate the efficacy of vaccines, the importance of vaccines and people who are cynical around public health regulations, including things like limits on gatherings and physical distancing. So the people that have the biggest potential to contribute to spreads of COVID and strains, more strains on the healthcare system are the ones that are going to be least likely to listen to please, however sincere or insincere they may be from government or health officials, from spokespersons, so to speak. So the gatherings are down now. Uh, they're limited to what, Sam, 10 indoors, right? You were saying earlier, to 10 indoors, 20, outdoors. 20 outdoors in Hoyles. That's down from like 200 or something like that. Right? Yeah, the, the 200 outdoors. Still, yeah. You know, OK, so so these are the gatherings and this is the reality. Um, you mentioned uh, Dr. Wing Lee from Support Our Students. This is what she had uh, on Twitter yesterday as a result of this. Uh, you know, she says, you know, Alberta's chief medical officer of health, quote, by returning to reporting infectious diseases to schools like we did last year. We are providing schools the tools and information they need during a challenging fourth wave, uh, says Dr. Lee. Uh, so her but privacy issues excuse was just to cover. They could have done this all along. And uh, in my mind, one of the smartest people on planet Earth, and not just because she married me, my lovely wife, Carrie Skelton, tweeting yesterday, we're acting to protect schools. No, Premier, you're reacting because you didn't protect schools in the first place. I thought that that was bang on. And again, not just because she's my wife. I'm looking forward to this next guest. I know that some of you may may need some time to get up to speed on this file. So do I. But did you know that Fat Bear Week has been underway? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Fat Bear Week. And they've just named a winner. The first Fat Bear competition. We're talking about like Grizzlies, Kodiaks, not humans. I had a couple of people in the chat. You saw a couple of people in the chat earlier. I'm a fat bear. I'm interested in this. Um, an opportunity to consider how and why bears get fat to survive. This is really neat. You can check out fatbearweek.org. We're thrilled to have the founder of Fat Bear Week, Mike Fitz, uh, worked as a ranger at Katmai National Park uh, for a number of years, 2007 to 2011, 2013 to 2016. Uh, in 2018, started working at Explore.org. Uh, currently, the resident naturalist there and author of The Bears of Brooks Falls, Wildlife and Survival on Alaska's Brooks River. Mike, we're really excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for making time for us today. You're welcome and happy uh, belated Fat Bear Week. Happy belated Fat Bear Week to you. Um, I've been doing my best to pack on the pounds over the last while, but it's not because I'm about to lose 30% of my body weight hibernating. Where did you first get the idea of this? And, 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 and what's the whole point, really? I first got the idea when I was browsing some webcam comments uh, at when I was working as a park ranger. 
in Katmai. It was later in the season. And one of the things that is fairly unique about watching bears at Brooks Rivers, we get to see bears in the beginning of the season, beginning of summer when they're quite skinny. And then we get to see them later in the year when they're kind of like at this time of the year at peak fat. And we have webcams uh, at uh, through explore.org where you can watch brown bears fishing for salmon at Brooks River. And there was a webcam viewer who just paired two different photos of the same bear at the beginning of the season and the end of the season and said, hey, look at the difference. And then that kind of sparked, uh, you know, a light bulb in my brain. And I thought, hey, uh, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we had people choose who they thought was the fattest and most successful bear of the year. So I brainstormed some ideas with a few of the other rangers who were working with me at the time. We did a one day event uh, in 2014. We called it Fat Bear Tuesday. Nice play. It was so well, well received by the uh, by the people who participated that I decided later in the, that winter to expand it into a full week. And Fat Bear Week has only grown in popularity since then. It's amazing. Uh, I'm looking right now at, uh, and people can check out the website. It, it's amazing. But uh, right now, your Hall of Champions, and we go through here, the Hall of Champions. Uh, 480 Otis in the inaugural year of 2014, 409 Bead Nose in 2015. You've got Otis. Otis is, na- Otis is just like all over the Hall of Champions here. And and my understanding is you've you've just named a winner. Is it too early in our conversation to get to the winner of the 2021 Fat Bear Week? Or do you want to go there right now? No, let's let's uh, let's, let's do, do it. it. Now. Let's do it. Uh, yes. Exclusively, so, uh, exclusively announced on Real Talk, Canada's most listened to news, politics and pop culture live streaming show. The winner of 2021 Fat Bear Week is Otis. Otis. What is it about Otis? This guy is all over the Hall of Champions. This guy is the goat. This guy's like the Tom Brady of Fat Bears. It it really shouldn't be too much of a surprise for, I I guess, for the people who watch bears at Brooks River on a frequent basis, because Otis is one of the older bears that we see at Brooks River. He's used the river every year since 2001. And I think this year people really related to Otis's story, uh, a story of resilience and perseverance. You can see in that before and after photo how skinny he was when he returned to the river. So while Otis is not the largest adult male that we have at the river, we have much larger brown bears that fish at Brooks River. I think people were able to recognize that he did such an amazing job of putting on the pounds for hibernation this, this year that they they had to choose him as the most successful uh, brown bear at Brooks River this summer. Mike, can you give us uh, some context uh, with regards to we see Otis there looking pretty lean. And by the way, that was the end of July. It's not like that was in May. Uh, that was the end of July looking pretty lean. And now he's just like ready. I mean, now you could, you know, I'm not going to say anybody should try, but it looks like you could roll him down a hill. Um, like, is he almost doubling his body weight? What sort of what sort of poundage are we talking about? Well, the younger bears, uh, those, you know, teenage bears, uh, independent juvenile bears that recently weaned from mother, they can easily double their weight throughout the course of the summer in Katmai. So you might have like what we call a sub-adult bear, like a three-year-old going from something like 
uh, 200 to 400 pounds over the course of the summer. So that's not uncommon. The older bears, since they are already so massive, it's more difficult for them to do that, but they're still gaining uh, several hundred pounds throughout the, throughout the summer. So Otis, probably six, 700 pounds in, in midsummer, even though he was quite skinny. Uh, so at this time of the year, easily, you know, pushing 900 pounds. The biggest bears that we have at Brooks River, though, are 1,200, 1,300, and 1,400 pounds. And a bear like uh, Walker here, who was in the finals with, uh, fat, with fat Bear Champ Otis this year. Uh, 1,400 pounds. Uh, it, it's hard to wrap your mind around an apex predator that is 1,400 pounds. Are these, and I noticed, by the way, you're calling them, I, I don't want to take anything for granted here. You hear people talk about Kodiaks, you hear people talk about uh, brown bears, you hear people talk about grizzly bears. Are these, are these all the same species that we're talking about? Are, are these regional language differences or is it differences biologically? They're all the same species. So their scientific name is all Ursus arctos, although the Kodiak bears are currently considered to be a subspecies of brown and grizzly bear. It really just does depend on where you are in North America, what you want to call them. So uh, closer to your area, if you happen to, uh, you know, go to Banff or Jasper, um, you know, in, in the mountains, you people there generally would call those bears grizzlies. Or if you go in uh, further south into the States, uh, into Montana or, uh, or Wyoming, grizzly bears there. But uh, along coastal Alaska and also coastal British Columbia, most of the time people are calling those bears brown bears. I'm uh, one of our audience members. The watcher uh, is chiming in saying like Otis is kind of like the boss in Banff. I'm not sure. Are you familiar with this bear? This is a this is a, a CBC photo that I'm showing right now, sharing it from my laptop. Uh, this guy's known as the boss, and he is an absolute legend uh, in Banff National Park. There's something about these bears that i mean there's a real hierarchy isn't there and they achieve i mean not just within the scientific community but i think colloquially uh, almost a celebrity status certainly i I think a lot of these well-known individual bears can serve a bit as uh, ambassadors for their species because they are showing uh you know or telling the stories of how bears survive i mean it's very different for a bear that lives in the Canadian Rockies versus a bear that lives in Katmai National Park. They uh, are different populations of bears. They rely on different food sources. They face uh, different challenges. And I think, you know, we can relate to individuals uh, in that manner. We can think about Otis, for example, or the bears in Banff and, uh, and consider, you know, the challenges that each one of these individual bears faces. Um, we've got people wondering, by the way, has nothing really to do with the content of our interview, but I'm assuming the answer is yes. People want to know if the background behind you is real. Of course, we're in the Zoom age. It looks to me like you are you you are right smack dab in the middle of nature right now. Where are you talking to us from? Yeah, I'm actually in northern Maine, so I'm on the back porch of my cabin. And uh, so, yeah, you're looking at the beautiful Maine forest behind me. It's about peak fall color right now uh, in my neck of the woods. So it's a great time of the year to be outside. Absolutely stunning, Mike. So what is it? Take us into the cat, my bear diet. We see the. I mean, everybody's seen these remarkable videos uh, of, I mean, these uh, it's basically what the salmon migration, right? And these bears are there just hammering these things out of the air. It's fascinating to watch. Uh, you've got bears in other parts of the world that are, of course, more reliant on on berries and and, uh, you know, I mean, basically digging up tree roots and that type of thing. I mean, maybe the odd kill of a of an elk calf or something like that. But are these the in Katmai, are these the most well-fed, most well-nourished uh, brown bears on planet Earth? They, they could be. Uh, with the combination of salmon and berries and other food resources in Katmai, the bears may have access to the ultimate bear diet. And that goes uh, 
It's probably the same for the Kodiak bears, which are a closely related population. The Kodiak bears are separated from Katmai's bears by about, uh, you know, maybe 45 kilometers of open water across the Shelikov Strait. So uh, isolated from one another, but they have access to an incredible amount of food. And that allows the bears to grow so big. I mean, you can't get big as a bear without having access to a lot of food. And the, um, and you can see those differences um, if you compare the size of bears in Katmai and Kodiak with bears, again, that live in the Rocky Mountains that are getting most of their, their, their food and their calories from vegetation. Uh, they, they're omnivores like us, so they eat a wide variety of foods, but it takes a lot more work and uh, not only physically, but also digestively to gain calories from vegetation and berries compared to, uh, compared to just sitting at a waterfall eating salmon. We've, I'm, I'm always curious for, I mean, informed perspectives on sustainability. And Mike, I'm really grateful to have you here. This is, I, I suppose, will broaden our conversation uh, or at least, I mean, you take it whatever direction you want, but outside Katmai National Park, we've seen these interesting stories and I've followed them in particular. I mean, I have a lot of grizzly artwork in our home. I mean, it's an animal that I just marvel at. I, I just think that they're wonderful. We've had a couple, I would describe them as almost spiritual experiences in person uh, from a safe distance. I mean, it's just one of, it's surreal. Uh, and, and you know, if you know, and if you don't know, I wish upon someone that great and special opportunity in the right circumstance. Um, British Columbia to the west of us uh, back, I think it was in 2017 ish banned uh, the grizzly hunt trophy hunt. Uh, and I, I want to reference an article in a magazine called Alberta views, a good friend of this show, former superintendent actually of Banff national park, Kevin Van Tegum wrote a piece in October of this past year on the return of the grizzly hunt in Alberta, uh, suspecting that this government, our current provincial government, uh, maybe signaling its intention to reopen uh, the grizzly bear hunt. What's your assessment of the the sustainability of this species? What's your assessment of uh, grizzly hunting, trophy hunting in particular? Where do you land on that? Well, it varies from place to place. I mean, the bears, for example, in Katmai National Park are, are doing quite well overall. I mean, it's a, a very a dense population of bears, one of the densest populations ever uh, measured on the planet, but you have other populations of bears in, uh, let's say, the contiguous United States that aren't doing so well, for instance, and are uh, considered to be threatened and endangered right now. And you also have uh, populations like that in uh, in British Columbia and Alberta as well. The, you know, regarding hunting, the, you know, the land managers are usually pretty good, um, and the wildlife managers are usually pretty good at making sure that the hunts are sustainable. The biggest threat to, to grizzly bears, brown bears, no matter where they happen to be, is, is habitat loss. Uh, so, you know, when we end up uh, looking at, um, at hunting, it's easy to sort of like uh, say, hey, we, we need to stop that because we need to save the bears. But the, the best thing that we could do is to ensure that the habitat for these bears remains intact. Um, and if we can keep roads out of these places, for instance, I know that's a big issue with road building in, um, in parts of Southern Canada, uh, that could be one of the best ways to help protect bears and other wildlife that use those habitats. Have you seen a real uptick in um, public interest and engagement and, and education as a result of the, the fat bear week? I mean, do you, do you see evidence that it's putting some pretty important environmental issues on people's radar? I hope so. And I, I think I have seen some evidence of that. Every year we see people uh, coming to uh, the webcams or v maybe visiting Brooks River in person because they discovered it 
through Fat Bear Week, and it's it's very heartening. Uh, and I, I enjoy reading, you know, people's comments and and conversing with them if they've discovered it through uh, that medium. Because Fat Bear Week, to be honest with everybody, is just a trick. It's a trick to. Uh, get people to consider the different ways that bears get fat to survive and the resources that, uh, that they rely on to survive. So if we can get people around the world thinking just for a few seconds about bears, maybe that'll plant the seed within their brains to, uh, to think about these animals in a different context, in a different light. Mike, right now um, we're at explore.org and, and we're looking through the live cams and I can count at least four brown bears in the river at least um is this is this a rarity that that on demand right now live in our interview we're seeing four of them or is this just the way it is all the time throughout the summer this is pretty typical uh, in fact in early august this year we saw as many as like 30 to 40 bears on the camera at the same time wow. so so this is in a uh, a place where bears gather uh, to fish for salmon throughout the summer. So I, I encourage everyone to tune in, not only now, but also at the end of next June, when the bears start to gather at the river, when the, when the salmon first arrive. And Brooks River is only about three kilometers long. So it is not a very long river, but we can have dozens of brown bears fishing there on a given day. And it's really fascinating to watch those bears again and get to know them as individuals because we really have a remarkable opportunity to do this. It's different than a lot of wildlife watching opportunities in national parks where you see a bear on a hillside and it's really cool to see that bear, but it's kind of an anonymous individual in many cases. You don't know a lot about that bear's life history, but we know a ton about Otis. We know a lot about Walker. We know a lot about um, dozens of other bears that utilize the river. So it's a, it's a unique, unique experience that way. And if you tune into the webcams tomorrow or uh, next week or, or next june and july you're likely to see a lot of bears fishing as well yeah i the camera just zoomed in is, is this manually operated is this i want this job does somebody literally just get to sit here and watch this river all day they don't get paid we do but we do have a, a, an army of volunteer camera operators who so log cool. into the controls remotely and we're always looking for volunteers uh, so you can uh, go to explore.org, scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page below the comments, and you can look for the volunteer button and inquire there if anybody wants to. So, yeah, uh, thanks to our camera operators for helping to sort of curate that experience because uh, they, they look for the best views and follow the bears around the river. Huge shout out to your camera operators. That is so cool. Um, City Slicker question. Do, they don't run rafts down this river, I'm assuming. Technically, in certain seasons, it would be allowed. However, uh, not a good it's, idea. It's a pretty, it's a pretty rare event. Yeah, and I, I uh, to be honest with everybody, I would discourage that because <laughs> in Katmai National Park, there's a regulation that you can't approach a bear within 50 yards, and it's of course to protect our own safety, but also to make sure that bears have adequate space uh, to the resources that they need uh, to survive. And if you're rafting the river at this time of the year, even though there might not be a prohibition on it, it would be, uh, you know, extremely difficult um, to do so and, you know, and, and be and do it in good faith and, and maintain a safe distance it's, from those. Bears. This is uh, that is the most diplomatic way of saying that is a terrible idea. <laughs> And do do not dare do it. Uh, another city slicker question. The, these guys all get along. Everything's cool. There's 30 or 40 bears along a three kilometer stretch and, and everybody getting along or there's some sort of alpha male type things going on. I mean, what, what happens there with regards to the, the so-called group dynamic? Well, believe it or not, bears are pretty risk averse. They don't want to get in fights if they don't have to. So they settle their disputes through 
vocalizations and body posturing. They're generally quiet animals unless they happen to come into a, a confrontation over like a, a particular food resource. Uh, but we do see them fighting from time to time, especially over the productive fishing spots at Brooks Falls. Or if you're a big adult male and you are looking to compete for uh, the limited mating opportunities in the springtime, sometimes those can be some of the most violent battles uh, that we see in brown bears. So it certainly happens. Um, at this time of the year, it's a bit less likely to happen because a lot of the bears are really well fed. The salmon are really dispersed throughout the river. Uh, but if you wanted to see the hierarchy play out at the river, definitely watch in, um, in late June and July. Uh, that's a fascinating time of the year to watch the bears, one of my favorite times of the year. And I've been keeping track of the hierarchy over uh, the last uh, several years, taking notes, uh, trying to understand you know, which bear outranks who and how that ebbs and flows across the years, because there's no you know, uh, guarantee that any one of those bears is gonna reach you know, the upper tiers of the hierarchy. They have to have the size, they have to have the disposition, and sometimes they have to have the, the fighting skills to be able to, to um, reach that level. What is it about uh, these brown bears that so resonated with you? Are, were you? Were you a kid that had like grizzly bear t-shirts and, and you know, studied, loved taking a look at you know, your high school projects about brown bears? Have you always been fascinated by them? I've always been fascinated by animals. Uh, much to my mother's chagrin, I was, you know, bringing home, I love like picking up snakes and catching salamanders <laughs> yeah. and, and stuff like that. Uh, I, I didn't really know a whole lot about brown bears though, until I, I went to work as a ranger in Katmai National Park. And I, you know, knew that I was probably going to enjoy this experience. I was very eager to go there and explore the volcanoes and the wild landscape that uh, Katmai contains. But once I started to watch bears, even just after a few hours, I, I realized that they were fascinating creatures. And I had never had the opportunity, again, to get to know them as individual animals. In my other park ranger experience, I was just kind of watching coyotes or other animals on hillsides. And uh, I didn't know much about those, but talking to the biologists, there's a long-term bear monitoring study at Brooks River that's been ongoing since 2001. I started to realize that, hey, I can learn a lot about these, uh, these animals as well. And then I started, of course, to talk to the public about the animals and their individual stories. And I found that, that those stories resonated uh, with people visiting the river. And now I feel, uh, again, very fortunate to be able to share that wildlife watching experience through the webcams with people all over the world. Let me ask you in closing, Mike, so appreciate your time today and your insight. I mean, I obviously we could talk about this all day. This is, I think that our team is just going to be watching this live stream until like 5 p.m. tonight. Yep. Because this there, is like there this, goes your productivity. <laughs> right. I mean, there goes. I don't even care. We'll find a way to route it up on our studio monitor. We might just make this a permanent installation. Um, this is so cool. Uh, but also sustainability. You know, we talk uh, whether you're talking about. I was having a conversation with a friend who cares very deeply about the pod of, of resident orcas uh, in Vancouver and the importance of the salmon in that area. And we could get into salmon farming and all that kind of stuff. I don't know what how many cans you want to open right now, Mike. But but my understanding is, is that Bristol Bay and this area of the world that we're talking about that you're a real expert on is 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 quite unique with regards to the the salmon run there and obviously this ties directly to the health of these bears can you explain yeah we, we i mean we focus on the bears we we love to see them get fat a, a fat bear is a successful bear but we can't forget the role that salmon play in the ecosystem without salmon we wouldn't see large numbers of bears gathering at brooks river the population of bears in the park would be much lower 
overall, the bears would be smaller. They would reproduce at slower rates. Uh, and Brooks River itself would not have supported uh, people nearly continuously for the last 5,000 years. And the run of salmon in Bristol Bay currently is like the last great run of salmon left on earth. This year, um, something around 65 million salmon returned to the Bristol Bay watershed. Uh, uh, almost 3 million of those swam up the Naknek River and a few hundred thousand of those entered uh, the Brooks River. So this really, this place I think is a beacon of, of hope in a world that is wounded by mass extinction and climate change. I mean, uh, for me, it serves as an example of what we can save if we work together uh, to do so. And there's a lot to save everywhere. It's just not, you know, uh, like at Bristol Bay or at Katmai, we're just working to save that. I mean, with salmon, if we can restore and protect salmon runs across the West Coast of the United States, and even in Atlantic Canada and the Northeast United States with, with Atlantic salmon, uh, the ecosystem impacts and the economic impacts, uh, the cultural impacts for the indigenous uh, people who have, uh, who who have relied on the, uh, those species for for thousands of years are are, are incredible. Uh, maybe uh, you know I, I don't think I could necessarily put it into words. It's hard to overstate the importance of salmon uh, to these places, and we're seeing these places changing due to climate change and habitat loss. And salmon in a lot of places are not faring well right now. But Bristol Bay is sort of like, like that beacon of hope. It is the last great salmon run on Earth. What did you make of of that uh, the Werner Herzog film uh, Grizzly Man? You know the one I'm talking about that that fellow that went in and, and basically lived with the Grizz. I don't know if I have to say spoiler alert. Should I say spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet? Uh, it ends how you think it probably ends, and I, I've seen a lot of people describe it as kind of a disservice to conservation efforts around the world. What's your assessment of of not just the film but but the legacy of that fella? Yeah, so that film focuses on the uh, the life of Timothy Treadwell, who went into Katmai National Park um, to to be near uh, brown bears. And, and Treadwell, I never met him in person. He cared very much for the bears. I think his mistake was not respecting their space um, more than anything else. And I have to be honest, he's not sort of unique in that way. We uh, do see, you know, people wanting to be close uh, to bears in a lot of different places, not only in Katmai, um, but throughout North America where we end up finding bears. And one of the better things that we can do for bears is to give them adequate space. We can coexist with with brown bears um, and grizzly bears, but we need to give them space. We need to make sure that they have access to food resources, uh, wild food resources, um, and they're not associating us uh, with people. So, uh, we at Brooks River, if anyone is fortunate enough to visit there in person, you, it's highly likely at certain times of the year you're going to have a close encounter with a bear, but definitely you want to make sure that you're giving the bear adequate space and avoiding, uh, you know, habitats where they happen to congregate. If you go to Brooks River, that's impossible. Uh, because the bears are kind of everywhere, but sticking on designated trails, viewing bears from the designated wildlife viewing platforms, kind of avoiding going into the river, for instance, those are one of the, some of the best ways that we can protect the bears and have a great experience at the same time. Mike Fitz uh, spent about eight years working as a ranger at Katmai National Park. Uh, in 2014, he established the first ever fat bear competition. He's currently the resident naturalist at explore.org, and he's the author of The Bears of Brooks Falls, Wildlife and Survival on Alaska's Brooks River. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, Mike. Thanks so much for making time for us. Hey, no problem. And uh, 
it's great to see so many fat bears and I'm glad to have, have the opportunity to talk, to talk about. It. Amen. Very well said. Um, take a look at Sam. Let's take camera four for a second. I think what do you guys vote? But uh, by a show of hands, if you look up our studio monitor show of hands, everybody approved the new installation. Uh, Hoyles, work of it. Like, Thank you, Brooks. We've, we've got it up. Hoyles, is this unanimous? We, sorry, sorry. Right. Yes, hands up. Sorry, the, I was. The eyes have it. A unanimous decision. This will now. I we're, think we're done with the news. Yeah, we're done with bears. We're done on. with the news. We're just gonna live stream the Brooks River at Katmai National Park and watch bears fishing all day, every day. Did you see the comment in the live chat saying, "Hey, no. while we're away next week, yeah, maybe we, we just for stream our, it, yeah." Just on our live on our uh, YouTube. That is a good uh, opportunity to remind people that we'll be away next week, uh, observing an extended Thanksgiving break with our families, recharging our batteries, and uh, we encourage you to catch up on past shows, our best ofs, if you will. Uh, Hoyles tried to make a best of edition, and then it just one of every interview is just so good uh, that we were unable to narrow it down. This feels like an absolutely perfect time. I don't want to change the subject. I want to keep building on it. I want to stay in nature. Every single Wednesday, though, we're so thrilled uh, to be partnering with Tourism Jasper to take us all to the mountains, essentially. It's a feature we call My Jasper Memories. Every Wednesday here on the show, we head outdoors in partnership with Tourism Jasper. And it's uh, such a thrill right now. I know that a lot of people uh, have it on their calendar. You wouldn't miss it. From October 15th through the 24th, it's the Dark Sky Festival. And this is a perfect opportunity to see the night sky. You know, Jasper is actually designated as a dark sky preserve by the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada. A stunning opportunity. Uh, And this week, a great chance to check out two keynote speakers at once. They're going to tackle the big questions of whether human... (laughs) This is amazing. Does humanity have a sustainable future beyond Earth? Just a small little question. They're just going to take that on at the Dark Sky Festival. So who are we talking about? Well, Adam Steltzner, if you know, you know, a spacecraft designer, an author, an innovator, chief engineer of NASA's Mars 2020 Perseverance mission, the chief engineer. What do you do for work? Oh, I like doing this. And then what do you do? Oh, I'm the chief engineer of NASA's Mars 2020 Perseverance mission. Oh, and Rob Meyerson's going to be there too. Rob is the CEO of Della Loon Space. He's a thought leader, and he's the former president of Blue Origin. I mean, these are heavy hitters in the field. So they're going to explore the future of humanity off this planet. These are the questions I love. Like, can we colonize the moon or Mars? Can it actually happen? Can we actually travel to other planets circling other stars? Could we potentially find another home there? Are there people we could send there right now? I'm just kidding. William Shatner's going up. I saw that. And he's like, he's like 90 something. He still has me blocked on Twitter. I don't know why he blocked. He blocked me on Twitter because he didn't like the company I work for. I want to follow William Shatner on Twitter. I want to follow him when he gets blasted off into space. Anyway, back to the script. Can we as a species ever escape our worst impulses or are we doomed to always repeat the mistakes we have made here on Earth? This to me, I think for people who are like, oh, go to the Jasper Dark Sky Festival and check out some stars and the moon. It's like, no, these are like, they're going to blow your mind with this this sort of thought exploration. What a neat opportunity. So this is going to be at the Saturday afternoon event on October 23rd at the Jasper Activity Center. You can learn more. Of course, you know this already. If you check out jasper.travel slash realtalk, 
it's also where you can get your tickets. Uh, and you're going, yeah, what's it going to cost to get in? 20 bucks. 20 bucks to get in on this. Jasper.travel slash Real Talk. Tickets are obviously limited, so you're going to want to go and check them out today. You can also check out our past features on Jasper National Park by way of the website. Now, every week, we ask you to send us your Jasper memories. Use the hashtag on Instagram or Twitter, MyJasper and Real Talk RJ. And then, of course, we're going to feature some of them this week. I mean, we had difficult decisions to narrow these down. We've got a few in the hopper already for the next time, but let's get to a few from this week. Absolutely loved this one from Cheryl, who wrote in and said, look at my little. She's got her arms raised on the back of that steed. She says, so proud of herself for her amazing work out of the Pyramid Lake stables. Can't you almost hear those hooves just hitting that dry packed trail? Annette sent this in. I love this photo. Annette says, I was so happy and grateful for a gorgeous fall hike on the Edith Cavell Meadows Trail with her mom. Quality time. Look at that. That doesn't even look real. That is stunning. And this one from Girl and Dog Dog. This is amazing. Says, this is my grandpa. I know with apologies on the podcast, like you got to watch this. You got to check out this photo on YouTube. My grandpa, Sam Phillips, the son of Curly Phillips, who built the boathouse on Moline Lake. Here he is taking Bing Crosby on a guided fishing trip as a teenager. Says, I cherished my summer and every opportunity to get out there. Look at that. That is like, that's a photo that you blow up four feet by six feet and have it above the biggest fireplace you can find. I mean, that is a stunning photo with the great Bing Crosby. My Jasper Memories is presented proudly every week by our friends at Tourism Jasper. So cool. Quite frankly, I don't want to go back to talking about curriculum reviews and COVID outbreaks and political unrest and anger. What an uplifting show this has been with Biff Naked I even thought talking about math curriculum was pretty fun today because it sort of felt like we were, we were a little ornery this morning. Like Math we, we, can be fun. Math can be fun. And uh, appreciate that. Again, we'd love to hear from you. Your thoughts on this. I promised that I'd read some emails today and I want to. I wanted to get to this one from Cam. Cam uh, wrote in uh, to the education minister here in Alberta and, and he said, you know, I'm one of the constituents uh, as a matter of fact, Mr. LaGrange, I'm one of your constituents in Red Deer. Shout out to Red Deer. Says I'm, I'm writing to express my frustration that after months of parent and teacher warnings about a lack of leadership regards to the, the planning of COVID management in schools, you're making a plan for school administration to take over contact tracing again until you can hire others to do it. I mean, we're talking about hours and hours of extra work unpaid do you understand does the ministry understand that when admin gets the information they have to uh, stay at school late to contact all the families that's one example it's unpaid labor there's no overtime pay there's no days in lieu the government quite frankly says cam has just failed to plan and you failed to communicate correctly and you failed at the job that you were elected to do you must assume that teachers and school staff unlike any other job in alberta should simply just keep giving of their time and this while your government attempts to take our pensions, only relenting after months and months of talks. That was a big win for the teachers, by the way. Says, you know, this while your government is preparing to ask teachers to take a, a pay cut. This planning is not robust. It's ridiculous, says Cam. And minister, you should be ashamed. 
That was a big one from Cam. We're going to get to more of your emails tomorrow. We also wanted to remind you that our question of the week is up right now on our website, ryanjesperson.com. We're asking you your reflections following that first, that inaugural National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. We want to know how you marked the day and your reflections on what you've earned. And of course, we will be reviewing that our first show back thanks to our research and strategy partners at Y station. If you've loved what you've seen on the show today, if you've enjoyed the interviews, we thank every single one of you that shares our content. We're slowly building up our subscriber base. I feel like I'm going to be honest, the real talk. I feel like this, we've, we've stalled out a little bit there. And I think it's because people are, people are tuning in and joining us, but not subscribing. We love when you do. And we love when you smash that like button. We love when you tell your friends about what you're hearing or what you're seeing here on real talk. And we love seeing that audience grow every single day. Our friends at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. I had a chance to talk to Scott uh, just yesterday I said, how excited are you to finally have trucks, cars on those big trailers en route to Sherwood Park in St. Albert? He goes, oh, man, like 335 Dodge Ram 1500s on the way. Selection has been limited, right? They've been doing a decent number of sales, decent amount of business on the used, the pre-owned side. We're talking 335 brand new Rams on their way right now to those two dealerships. You're looking for a Grand Cherokee? 145 of them on the trailers right now. 76 Wranglers, some of them already in-house. 57 Durangos, 46 Gladiators. I'm reading like basically right from the order sheet. These numbers, these will not last. So if you want to get your hands on a new rig, now is the perfect time to visit our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. Also a perfect time to start talking among your family unit about what your dream outdoor space might look like. We've got a neighbor right now, Eden Landscaping, is doing some work for them down the street from us. I was happy to see that happen. It kind of reminded me. Mentally, I've been transitioning out of this, being like Mike and his team are doing all the planning for the spring. These guys just tore out all their old... Their, their, the lawn didn't look great, to be honest. Um... They just repainted their house and redid their sod. Wow. Like, wow. Unbel- the curb appeal. Incredible. Apparently, saw, and I mean, Mike at Eden Landscape would know this, but that putting sod in, in the fall is the right time to do it. Is that right? Yeah. It helps to establish in the colder weather before the snow flies. So this is like perfect time. Perfect I lo- timing. I love that your neighbor has across the street has a local waste I know. bin and down the block has even landscaping. And and people like three doors down get Grand Dog Essentials delivered to their door and I'm, I'm just like I'm just glad everybody's checking out the show and saving money along the way. You can contact Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. Our friends at Kubi Energy are already excited. I know Jake is for what's coming up on Positive Reflections, the first one back. We want to hear what really filled your bucket, either through the Thanksgiving weekend or otherwise. A random act of kindness. What's making you happy? The team at Kubi Energy has established themselves, you know this, as basically the go-to solar installer, the consultants in Western Canada, and the proof is in the pudding. I mean, you go to their homepage at kubienergy.ca, that right there, that's right in our downtown. That's the Edmonton Convention Center right now. That entire solar install, it's remarkable, done by the team at Kubi Energy. But they also do garden sheds, right? I mean, they do installations of all sizes. They're Tesla certified, and you're getting journeymen and apprentice installers, not like Uncle Larry up on the ladder. It's a bad idea every single time. Ah, I figure you just, ah, we ran out of wire, so we connected it with a coat hanger and wrapped it in some hockey tape. Larry, get off the ladder and contact Kubi Energy right away. 
believe it or not, that is not a script provided by Kubi Energy, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart. And finally, I wanted to put this tweet in front of you. Blake Schaefer, you know him. He's an economist out of the University of Calgary. This from a guy who understands where electricity is at right now, where natural gas is at right now, and he's imploring you. He says, I can't say this enough. If you're in Alberta and you're still on a floating rate for power and gas, you should really switch to fixed. He says you can do so with current providers or easily switch providers online in a few minutes. I will now hijack Blake Schaefer's tweet and turn it into a Park Power promo to remind you that you can switch to fixed rates. It's easy. You can swap over to Park Power, internet, electricity, and natural gas. It's easy. And with the promo code 2021-REALTALK, they're going to buy you dinner. They're going to knock 70 bucks off your first bill. 2021-REALTALK, the promo code there. Coming up on tomorrow's show, very much looking forward to talking to reformed insurance propagandist and whistleblower Wendell Potter. You got to follow him on Twitter ahead of time. Read his timeline. He just straight up says, I used to lie to y'all and now I'm making things right. Plus, the Canadian Association of Black Journalists has had enough of online harassment. We'll find out where they're going with this. And country singer Jess Moskaluk Oh, and eat your words too. Buckle up. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com. 